As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning, the following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example, Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from a seedy pub in Liverpool. This is Real Spoilers. Uh, as you guys know, this is Joe. I'm actually doing it by myself today. It's just we're going to do a little one-on-one interview. Um, we've actually got on the line, friend of the show, Rich Handley. Uh, Rich, as I'm sure you listeners know, was on our very first Planet of the Apes episode. He was kind of our aficionado. You may also recognize him. Uh, he is responsible for many Planet of the Apes uh, lexicons and timelines as well as some Star Wars stuff, uh, Back to the Future, which is a... Rich, you can chime in here. That's that's an undertaking, if I do say so myself. I, I basically find myself saying, Great Scott, while writing them. <laughs> Trying to get the timeline right, whether it's the alternate 1985 or the current timeline, or, you know, where... Trying this... to make sense of Back to the Future's time, time was interesting. <laughs> I bet that, it was. Well, given that Doc doesn't even seem to know half of what happened in history. Almost yeah. everything... Doc says about history in the movies and in the cartoons was just wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you, you had the cartoons in there as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, the book covers the, the cartoons, the video games, the comics, uh, old scripts, oh, the man, novelizations, man. Uh, music videos. You, you are, name it. You are a I, dude. I, That's intense. Uh, well, you know, amazingly, I'm, I still manage to be married and have children. Yeah, I'm not well, sure. well done. Yeah, I don't know how I do it, because it's amazing my <laughs> wife hasn't left me. So. Yeah. But the one that uh, piqued my interest is actually the last two books, uh, is the Watchmen anthology, the, chrono- the chronology of Watchmen, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Watchmen and even the uh, before Watchmen, and honestly, I kind of like the movie, uh, is one of my favorite reads. It's one of the ones I- that I probably go back to once a year. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. I, I, I really enjoy. That's actually the, one of the ones that I had the most fun writing. It, for one thing, it was one of the situations where things lined up the best. Sure, sure. Uh, it, trying to make sense out of uh, Planet of the Apes was kind of kind of akin to trying to uh, trying to juggle nuclear weapons while sticking <laughs> your face into a into a moving ro- fan rotor. Oh, that's simple, huh? Yeah, and, and because it was agonizing at times because things simply don't line up from one publisher to the next. 
with Watchmen, there were mistakes. Uh, there were dates that didn't line up and so forth. Oh, sure, but, sure. But, uh, but, but making sense out of Watchmen and even the movie and before Watchmen and other things along the way, the role-playing game books, was remarkably easy. And it was really fascinating to see how it all played together. Uh, even though I'd read everything, I'd never done it in that way. And I, I learned a lot that I actually thought that I knew but didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the way as – I mean, I'm, I'm, I am a self-proclaimed comic book nerd. There's always stuff that pops up where you're just like, wait a minute. I feel like – I knew that, and now yeah. I have no. Now my my faith has been rocked because now there I, are I'm questioning connections myself. Be made if you look at something from another perspective, and you could see a movie twenty times and think, "I know that movie left and right. I know all the dialogue." And then somebody will say, "But did you ever stop and consider that maybe the main character is an orangutan dreaming he's a, <laughs> he's actually a marigold?" And, and you're you go, just like. Poof. Oh my God! If he's an orangutan dreaming he's a marigold, that changes everything, right? <laughs> yeah, and and, and uh, first of all, you're probably on LSD if an orangutan dreaming he dr orangutan dreaming he's a marigold is what comes to I, mind. I so. feel like you should be on LSD if you're going to watch those last three movies. Not the current, not the Matt Reeves stuff, but the current, like the uh, the original uh, Planet stuff. Well, it certainly would help <laughs> with watching the Tim Burton film. Oh, any don't get me started. <laughs> he owes he owes Kevin Smith a paycheck for that movie. Um, but the reason we're here is because you actually just put out a new book on one of my top five favorite DC characters, John Constantine. Yes, who is, and thank uh, you for pronouncing his last name right. I, well, I love there's two versions, right? There's the <laughs> Constantine, who is the Vertigo character, and then there's Constantine, who is the revamped New 52 version. That's the way you know, I just dis I distinguish. In other that. words, there's one version because I, I you I'm ain't not kidding, a brother. Two fifty two. Yeah, it's uh, we'll touch on the new. You know, for the people yeah. who are listening who don't know what that is, DC is notorious for re revamping or rebooting their universe. Uh, they did it uh, back in the '80s with Crisis on Infinite Earths. They did it uh, again with Flashpoint, and they're kind of starting to go back to the new fifty or the pre new fifty two versions of our heroes today. Constant. The difference, I think, between uh, between um, the main difference between Crisis and New Fifty Two is that Crisis was Crisis, in my opinion, worked. It, it, it created all sorts of problems that it, that it, it, it's in, in addition to solving some, but it did set the um, the universe on the right path and arguably made things a lot more interesting to read afterwards. Yeah, because there was a sense of order instead of complete and utter chaos. New Fifty Two was an <laughs> artificial construct that didn't need to be done in, no. my, in my opinion I no mean, I, I, I don't disagree very, at all but it, it really didn't need to be done and it and it, and it it in many ways in my opinion lessened the enjoyment factor and in fact it made me a a guy who who had been collecting and reading everything swamping and uh hellblazer and books of magic related walk away completely and that that takes a lot because as you could tell from our discussion of the watchman a minute ago i am a <laughs> bizarre completist if, i am if, right there with you yeah, if I find out that there was a there were a series of twelve matchbooks only released in Uruguay <laughs> that had one panel comic strips on the back in which Bazooka Joe meets Swamp Thing, I'm buying I, it. I will, I will find all twelve of them and, and make sense of them in the context of the bigger scheme. So you you are preaching to the choir. My wife yeah, uh, loves exactly. the fact that I collect comic books, and by love I mean loathe. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the the key is to is to is to find other ways to remind her that you love her even though you also <laughs> love comic books. That's correct. That's correct. So uh, 
John Constantine mm-hmm. uh, debuted, I believe, was it Saga of Swamp Thing 25? Yes. Does that sound uh, right? Although most people will say 37, he actually showed up in 25 uh, as Sting mugging to the camera in a striped T-shirt. That's the best. Like, yes. to me, like, the what's awesome about Constantine is he aged. He yes, aged and that's throughout that book. That's why I the agree. New, yeah, if for both for both Swamp Thing, uh, Swamp Thing's daughter, Tefe, yeah. and uh, and and Constantine, it always bugged the heck out of me that uh, that they that they rebooted because what was really unique about these comics compared to most others uh, around is that time passed. John, when when, when John at, at the point that he that his character should have turned forty turned 40. Correct. At the point that his character should have turned 50, turned 50. When the series ended and he should have been 60, he was 60. And uh, and, and Tefe grew older. Now, granted, in her case, they also pulled a she rapid aged because of, right, yeah. of plot. But but it still made sense in the context of what they were doing. Uh, so to have John go from being this 30-something guy in, in Alan Moore's hands to 60 in Peter Milligan's, and then just revamp it it just into it, like it, a 25 year old yeah, yeah. Uh, a 25 year old who spoke who who kind of spoke the way um dick van dyke does in mary poppins it is uh, to me it, it was jarring it was very jarring it was very jarring i think nobody should be writing a british character if you aren't british I look at it this way. I, I'm a I'm a British American. My my uh, <laughs> that's my heritage is from England, and I have been reading this this comic for thirty plus years, and I shouldn't be writing it because sure sure I know the character inside and out, and it's my heritage. But I didn't grow up in Britain. I I um I've been there, but I certainly couldn't pick up. I, I certainly could not recreate the the right. Uh, jargon, the right tonal inflections. I would, I too would come off like I was writing Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Mary I think it, it's more yeah. so now in the new with the revamped Constantine, Constantine. Sorry, uh, <laughs> where it just like they try to throw in um, something that would sound like a Guy Ritchie movie, and it misses <laughs> the tone completely. Like it just doesn't work. I mean, but the book itself is kind of based in New York and London, bounces back and forth, and it just doesn't sound right. I well, think... you know, when you have a guy who's more likely to say "Hello, Gavna," than actually talk the way John does, right? It's hard to get caught up in the narrative, and that's the reason I walked away from it. And I, I say all this, I should hasten to add, with no disrespect to the writers. Sure, it's just that it, I'm, 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 I'm not a young, I'm, I'm not a, a young man anymore, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> You know, after reading these things for 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 decades, I think maybe I'm just not the target audience, and that's okay. I don't think I, a lot I, of us are the target audience anymore. But that's the problem, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I have you know I have a massive comic book shelf, and I can reread those. So when I when I sound curmudgeonly and complaining, <laughs> all I'm really saying is it's not for me. If it works for other people, that's cool. Yeah, I think um, like movies or music or comic books, it's a subjective art form. Um, yeah. I know that there's stuff out there that I'm still reading. Like I'm, I'm obviously as soon as Bendis, you put that big red and red and yellow S on a book, you have my money. It doesn't matter. But now that Bendis is writing it, and I think he's found his groove. Uh, it's a really good book. So it's just like, it wasn't for me in the New Fifty Two with his stupid metal suit. Uh, but they've gotten rid of the metal suit. They've gone back to the original sort of. He has like the Man of Steel cuffs, but that's about it. And then, like that's that's more my Superman, but I totally get that maybe that new fifty two version or the Grant Morrison version where he's wearing 
rocking a t-shirt and jeans may have been somebody else's jam, but it wasn't mine. Which is weird that, to say that Grant Morris on a Superman book wasn't my jam. That t-shirt and jeans one is kind of like what Superman would be if uh, if the creators of Dawson's Creek had been. <laughs> He's a hipster Superman. Is what yeah, that was. new on the OC. <laughs> it's, it's Superman. I'm sure that the CW would jump at the chance to put Superman into any show, uh, which is what we'll get this year, actually. He'll be him and... Uh, Tyler Hochin, I think is his name, is coming back yeah. as Superman, and they're introducing Lois. So that's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about your um, your book, first of all. So what does your book go over in the in the world of the 1998 to 2013 Constantine? Well, uh, it's it, DC Comics has come out with a book uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary of Hellblazer. And... Uh, I'm, I'm, I know the editor, Alex Gaylor, and so I, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time to be part of this, thankfully. I, I, uh, basically, Alex, who, who I, had, I had worked with Alex when he worked at Boom Studios, I, I um, um, helped him put together uh, the four-book Planet of the Apes archive series. I wrote all the supplemental materials for those. Uh, they reprinted all of the Marvel Planet of the Apes comics, and then for each for each issue, we worked out an order of uh, of what should go in each book, and then I wrote background materials explaining the sort of setting each story in context. So okay, good. I'm I, glad you brought. Here's my question about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. if Marvel owns the like Marvel, put, obviously they've put out Conan, they've put out uh, Star Wars, they've put out uh, Planet of the Apes comics. Mm-hmm. When those rights transfer from like we'll say from marvel to boom we've talked about this on the show so we're not really sure how this works and now and now with the disney with the disney fox deal um how does that translate like do those does the mart does marvel still own the rights to the books that they put out or does that content flip to boom well licensing rights with uh franchise work is is an interesting thing and it has changed over time Back then, things were a little sketchier compared to how, how they are now, mainly because mainly because the studios have learned their lesson from the day <laughs> things were sketchier, and they they realized that yeah, it's uh, it it just it got too complicated. But basically, you ask an interesting question, and it's one that I was actually talking about with one of the editors just last week. Uh, the Marvel series from Planet of the Apes uh, was created was done at a time when contracts were such that Marvel ended up um, partly owning the material. Now, okay. that, 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 would, that would seem to go against common sense, which is if it's the Planet of the Apes franchise, why isn't it owned by Fox? And it is owned by Fox, but that's just the way things were done back then. Mar- Mar- back then Marvel retained uh, a portion of the say and of how the material would be used. So when boom studio, I have a cold way. I'm sorry. Oh I no, I do too. It's fine. We're going to sound great. Up. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're going to, we're going to sound like basically a commercial for like, um, nasal medication. <laughs> Nasonex. <laughs> yeah. Nasonex presents <laughs> John Constantine retrospective. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, but in any case, uh, so when Boom Studios wanted to reprint the old uh, Marvel comics, they needed to get Marvel's permission. Now, if they wanted to reprint something from you know far uh, more recent, like say Mister Comics, oh, I yeah, have a okay. feeling. Yeah, I have a feeling Mister the Mister Comics run, which was two thousand five, was probably recent enough that they wouldn't need to get permission from Mister Comics. I, I could be wrong about this, sure. But but I, I believe that it's recent enough that basically now the contracts would state that everything under the Planet of the Apes banner belongs to the Fox. And as a good example of this, uh, 
over the last several years, I also worked with IDW to reprint all the old uh, Star Trek comics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, UK-based comic strips and then the uh, L.A. Times weekly newspaper strips in America. Okay. And, okay. Uh, yeah, like, I had to stipulate the L.A. Times <laughs> in America as opposed to the L.A. Times in Spain. Anyway. I mean, you never uh, know. There, there could be you, something. You never know, yeah. It, it's it's a global market. It's, um, it's, it's La Times over in Spain. It's a lot, yeah. Exactly. It's not, yeah, it's La Times, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, that was good. Thank, um, you, thank you. I get one. So, I get one every uh, once in a while. Hey, he, he'll be here all week. Try the wheel. Um, so, so uh, in that case, that project had taken me years to get off the ground because I kept trying to convince publishers to do it. Sure. But everybody was afraid to because back in the 60s and, and in the 70s when the two sets of strips came out, contracts were a little different. And nobody was quite sure who owned the rights to the material, ah. who, who was owed royalties and so forth. So Pocket Books wanted to do it, but they had a pass. Wildstorm wanted to do it, um, but they had to pass. And eventually, what ended up happening was that... Was uh, Wildstorm pre-DC buyout or post? I believe that this was post. Okay. I'm trying to, yeah, it was, when, it was when they still had the Trek license. I think it's... Hmm. Yeah, it's I think pro- it's post probably buyout. post, I would yeah. guess, yeah. And... Um, and uh, so I, I figured the third was the charm, and I went to IDW and said, you know, here, I have all this. I happen to have one of the, be one of the only people I've ever known to have all of this material. Let's reprint it. No, most people haven't read it. And they were able to, I guess their legal team uh, was able to work their way through all the contracts and determine that, as a matter of fact, yes, Paramount owns all of this. Interesting. So, yeah, so that was what was what allowed those five books to be done was – that they were able to determine that uh, everything under the Trek banner, under the Star Trek banner, belongs. Well, it used to belong to Paramount these days. It's Paramount, CBS, and my Uncle Henry. Yeah, right, right, right. Who knows where it's going to end up eventually, but anybody who has the license can now reprint it, if I understand things correctly. So that's why, for example, Eagle Moss, which... Eagle Moss per- purchased the rights for for reprinting these bo- uh, these old comics, and so its graphic novel collection has been running the gamut of all the publishers because it it uh, it's all belongs to to Paramount and CBS. Gotcha. So with the Fox Disney deal, mm-hmm. uh, is does Marvel Comics now get the rights to the Predator comics that were were at Dark Horse and the Alien comics that were at Dark Horse? I mean, they've already taken the Star Wars run away from them that's a good question i the dark horse stuff was the 90s right uh up until current i believe they were still putting stuff out i think because there's a i'm pretty sure there's there's a james when it started oh sure yes yeah 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 it it wasn't the late 80s right it was the 90s not that i'm aware of then that's recent enough that the contracts may have been may have allowed for just fox to own it period and then they they decide who who gets to reprint it, but I, I I could be wrong simply because look for for every for every contract there's another version of a contract. Right, <laughs> right I mean, sure, sure. So it, it's certainly possible that um that things were different. I, I just I'm just you know I I could never proclaim myself to be a contract expert. <laughs> the only reason I know what I do is from ha- is is from having been in on some discussions or having been told about some discussions regarding the Star Trek and Planet of the Apes stuff, but. 
it's really it's not my area of expertise uh, even a couple of years ago i would have been asking the same questions you are so sure sure i could be totally wrong and if there's a a comic book lawyer listening to this going that guy's a freaking idiot <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that you think our reach is that far yeah exactly. <laughs> uh so yeah back to the the character and the man of the hour um the well well everybody kind of knows uh the DC has been trying really hard to make Constantine a thing. Uh, Ever since the Keanu Reeves movie when it was mispronounced. Yes, and that's to and, me that's and for it. Those, yeah, for those who don't know why we keep why we keep stressing teen and time, uh, it goes back to the days of Alan Moore. He created the character, and then at one point he had somebody refer to him as Constantine, and he said Tyne rhymes with wine. Yeah. And, and there have been a few instances since then where John has actually made a point of correcting people and saying how his name was pronounced. So anyone who's a, a longtime <laughs> fan and has paid attention to this realizes that his name is Constantine. Well, when you take a, 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 a Brit punk rocker from London and, uh, and you uh, – or, or Liverpool, depending on when you're talking about – and sure. you – you transplant him to the United States and make him a sullen guy in L.A., <laughs> you are, might as well also drop Tyne Rhymes with wine. May as well. Why not? And and, and call him Constant Dude. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> That's about who he was, too. Like, yeah. it, it was really just like if, if like Bill or Ted had you know fallen on hard times and gotten to the occult. Well, <laughs> I'll even say this. I actually, and this is apocryphal, I know, I like the movie. Oh, man. But but I'm going to have a huge disclaimer on it. Okay. I okay. think it's a horrible Hellblazer adaptation. Okay. If I had never read Hellblazer, I think it actually has an interesting story and some interesting characters. The reason I like it is because, to me, it well, because it's not called Hellblazer. To That's me, this true. isn't Hellblazer. As an occult movie about an occult detective uh, fighting demons in a really unusual type of setting uh, with some pretty damn cool... Uh, depictions of hell yeah to me it's interesting with uh, as a hellblazer film it utterly fails yes it is i mean it's got shia labeouf in it and that is one of the areas that utterly <laughs> fails and in fact he's as, chaz right as chaz yeah and i just that to me is the worst thing about the film and i'm not even somebody who rags on labeouf because he's done some good work but yeah sure he is not he is not a man Constantine's age, you know, because I'm using the Keener version of right, the pronunciation right, right. there. He's not his age and is not his, you know, longtime best friend who uh, drives a cab and has – well, he does drive a cab, but he does – he and drives has a, around. Drive, but he's not, he's not this gruff bruiser of a guy. In the comic, Chaz is the non-occult analog to John. He's the one piece of normalcy in the comic – but he's a he's an everyman type. He's a guy yes. who gets he, he's he's uh, he's a little flabby in the middle, but he could also punch through your face. Correct. And he uh, he's he's kind hearted and, and generous, but cross him the wrong way and he'll break your arms. That's he's, not uh, Shia LaBeouf. That's not Shia LaBeouf who who played this. Honestly, if I again, if I had never read the comic, I might have even enjoyed the character. But this this teenage uh, John worshipping groupie type was strange for a cab driver, I might add. Right. But put, putting that aside, it's just about as wrong as you can get for the character. 
as the TV show version making him immortal. Now, I like the TV show version. I think Matt Ryan uh, is if if, I, if there's very few times in comic book casting has an actor looked and sounded like what yes. I thought the real Constantine or Constantine <laughs> would be. It's Matt oh, I Ryan. Think, I think he was fantastic, and I hope that if I hope they have any intelligence, they keep using him, which they apparently are. Yeah, he's in it for And, and I even think the guy who plays Chaz was a good choice. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, it disappointed me that he that you know he doesn't sound like him, but he's he he. But the immortal thing really threw me because I mean it, it worked in the way they did it, but with Chaz, the thing that mattered, the thing that made him such an endearing character, in my opinion was that from day one, he was the one thing in Constantine's life, Constantine's life. I, <laughs> I know, it's tough, right? <laughs> yeah. Damn it, DC. Anyway, <laughs> you've made it be impossible for me to say a sentence without self-correcting. But um, <laughs> uh, he was, I'm going to say John. There you go. There, yeah. That'll work. Yeah, we can do that. He, he, he was the one thing in John's life that wasn't in the occult, the supernatural, the the, the hidden world, as, as John Shirley referred to it in the Hellblazer novels. He wasn't part of this. He was a guy who knew John because John had helped him fix a problem, and they had stayed friends. Sure. And but he, his wife wanted nothing to do with him. John yeah. kept. Uh, I mean, uh, Chaz kept John separated from his his daughter and granddaughter. He because John was John was dangerous to to those around him. John is John is what happens when you reveal your secret identity to the world. Exactly. Yeah, and he, so, puts, he puts everybody he loves at risk. Exactly. And so even though Chaz will jump right in and help him when needed or drive him everywhere, Chaz typically is the guy who drops him off at the scene of a, de- of a demonic <laughs> right. uh, avalanche and then leaves. And then later on, someone, you know, d- does something that makes John say something flippant and Chaz punches him in the face. Correct. But, but he's not immortal. He doesn't have supernatural powers, and that was the one aspect of the show that irked me. Yeah, and so we should say that there was the NBC show uh, in 2014 that starred Matt Ryan, and that's kind of where Matt Ryan has has found his convention uh, groove because now yeah. he is Constantine forever. <laughs> uh, he was on Arrow for a minute. He was on Legend. I think he's going to be a regular he's character a regular on girl. Legends. Yeah, uh, and he's he, also they're doing an animated series that continues the, uh, where the TV show. Oh, was. good. Yeah, City well, of Demons. Well, sort of. I mean, they, you know, they they go back and forth. Uh, uh, City of Demons, uh, the trailer is out for it, the animated movie. Uh, it stars Matt Ryan, so you would think, well, it must be a continuation. Except Chaz is different. I mean, things there are things about it that make me say, I don't see how it's a continuation. I think it's kind of like Dame Judi Dench and the Craig Daniel Craig. Oh, Bond. sure, sure. Right, I mean, she yes, she was she was M during the Pierce Brosnan years, but it's clearly not the same character. But it leads to the fact that James Bond is not one person. James yeah. Bond can be multiple people. This is a this is a topic for a, a, like a long protracted thing. We're going to totally sidetrack ourselves. Right. I, I will just say this: I've never bought into that, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the movies themselves kind of make it clear that everybody from Connery up to Brosnan must be the same guy, and here's why. Okay. Because because um, Connery uh, has a bunch of adventures, mementos from which Lazenby keeps in his draw and fondly uh-huh. takes out. If, if they weren't the same guy, then that would make Lazenby's Bond a real weird, creepy <laughs> stalker type <laughs> who has a case of hero worship and says, you know, uh, 
gosh, that, that Connery Bond is the kind of guy I want to be. I'll hold on to all his mementos in my drawer. That's why he was now, only Bond once, because he was ah, crazy. But, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, because <laughs> Lazenby Bond marries Tracy. Right. When she dies, Connery Bond goes and finds Blofeld to seek revenge, which would be weird if he weren't the same guy, but it doesn't stop there. Was that because, Never Say Die, Never Say Never Again? Uh, no, Diamonds Are Forever. Got it. Okay, okay. So then it doesn't stop there because Roger Moore sadly visits Tracy's grave and For Your Eyes Only and takes out Blofeld as revenge after – and Blofeld, uh, Blofeld is now wheelchair-bound like he was at the end of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And uh, after, Bond visit, after a Roger Moore Bond visits his, his grave – Timothy Dalton Bond refuses to catch uh, uh, flowers at, at Felix Leiter's wedding because the death of Tracy has made him not want to get married again. Pierce Brosnan Bond uh, <laughs> is is uh, chided by Terry Hatcher's character for for the fact that the pain of his past has made him unwilling to to love. In other words, and oh, and also I should add that all five of them have exactly the same relationship with MQ. And That's Money. true. That's so true. we have to, if we accept that they're five different people, then M is a curmudgeonly dick to five different people. <laughs> Ladies Hugh and gentlemen, this is this is why Rich is responsible for the <laughs> chronology of Back to the Future and Planet of the Apes and Watchmen. Like this is legit. You're getting because some I'm good stuff because I'm insane. That's why <laughs> right. we we have to accept that Q gets exasperated and on wit's edge over five different agents, and that Money Penny really has a very Easily, easily um, led heart because she falls in love with and flirts with five different agents who take the name James Bond. She's just now, attracted to the name. Th that last one, I was just going to say, I could buy <laughs> that she's got a James Bond fetish. Right actually, you know, oh, you're the new Bond? Hello there. How are you, you know, doing? How are you doing? <laughs> I, I, I could buy that one. But the whole idea that all of them have a thing for Tracy. That's probably, and, okay. Or, and that Lazenby Bond keeps mementos from Connery. That that actually that one's actually really amusing. Like that, we're off track here, but like I find that that would be the funniest one because I could see, okay, maybe the five Bonds are friends, and right, so that's right. why Moore is, Moore is visiting Tracy's uh, grave. Maybe Dalton and Brosnan have were so affected by their friend uh, Lazenby losing his wife that they won't get married. Okay, <laughs> fine. But, but Bros Lazenby, before hoes, Rich. Right, <laughs> but uh, but Lazenby holding on to mementos from each of Connery's missions is freaking hilarious. Yeah, that's pretty because good because that means he's kind of secretly in love with Connery. Right? <laughs> and honestly, James Bond Connery era, who is it? He was. Well, he, I guess that's true. Yeah, he. I mean, come on, you're not going to get much better than that. Uh, so back to Constantine. So <laughs> uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna eventually discuss John maybe Thompson. maybe what yeah. was your first uh, interaction or first time you saw or read uh, a Constantine comic? Uh, okay, well here here's what happened back in the back in the let me think about this for a minute. I guess it was the late nineties. Okay, my friend Joe Bongiorno and sometimes collaborator Joe Bongiorno, in case he's reading this, I mean listening to this, uh, had gotten into Swamp Thing. Okay. And he, he said to me, oh, you've got to read this. Now, I had, you know, I was younger. I'd seen the USA TV show. I'd seen the two movies. It's not that I didn't think Swamp Thing was fun, but to me, Swamp Thing at that point was, was goofy. It was very goofy. I, I, I even had faint memories of 
cartoon, which is a disaster. It is a disaster and with a great uh, cover of Wild Thing as <laughs> as the as the theme song. Yeah, just awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but a swamp. Thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, I, okay, uh, so I'm 36, so that was my introduction to Swamp Thing. The, the, so then the you know cartoon. what I mean. I do know exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's why I say I only had a faint knowledge of it, because I'm 50, so for, I, I wasn't watching it because I'm 14 years <laughs> right. old. But I had, a, I had a, a memory that it had been on, and that I'd seen a commercial or something and gone, what, what the <laughs> hell? And, uh, and it only ran five episodes, so you couldn't have been watching it that long. No, no, it was one. It was you know, it was the yeah. Ram, there was a Rambo cartoon. It was Swamp oh Thing, the goodness. Toxic Avenger. Like those were all oh, kind oh, of together. So they're all the same caliber. Yes, crap. basically, yeah. But uh, so I, uh, Joe kept pushing me to, to to read Swamp Thing, and and I kept saying, yeah, but you know, he's he's oozy and he hangs out in a swamp. His name is Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah. Joe's like, first of all, his name isn't Swamp Thing. Okay, I, mean, I know it became that like. <laughs> A hundred issues into the run, people actually he started calling himself that. The first yes. time he called himself that, I, I face bombed. But <laughs> initially, it was just it's it's like Hellblazer. John's name isn't Hellblazer, other than one or two alternate universes where he's a superhero. You know, uh, the Doctor is not named Doctor Who. Swamp Thing initially right. was not named Swamp Thing. It was just the title. And so when Joe explained this to me, I said, "Okay," <laughs> and he. He came in and he handed me at work the first uh, the first House of Secrets ninety two and then the first ten issues. And I read House of Secrets ninety two and went, well, yeah, it's a little it's a little simplistic, but I, I I like it more than I thought I would. Yeah. Then I started on the Len Wein era and came in the next day and said, um, I read them all. Can I have more? <laughs> so please, sir, may I have another. Please, sir. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So what ended up happening was I ended up reading the entire Swamp Thing uh, series one and two. The Len Wein, and, or had you gotten to Alan Moore yet? Well, every, uh, all of all of series one and two. Got so every from Len Wein up, up to um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, uh, Mark Mark Millar. Oh wow, and, and okay, yeah, for the sure. whole thing, like yeah. in, in short order, because uh, everything that existed at the time. Which was by the every, way, thank you for pronouncing Mark's last name correctly. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, so every, everything from Ween up to Malara, I read all of it and and immediately wanted to read it again. But I didn't feel comfortable asking Joe, "Can I start collecting, borrowing all your stuff again?" <laughs> uh, so I actually tracked it all down and then told my local comic shop, "Anything new that comes along, I'd like it." And they said, "How about Hellblazer?" And I thought about it and said, "All right, I now know what I'm going to collect." And, you, I, and he'd I, only shown up twice, right? Or oh no, he's, he was a he's, regular he's, character in the Alan Moore run. Yeah, he showed up uh, in, in 25 as a, as a, a grinning, mugging um, sting, and then in 37 as a speaking role. He was he was throughout the American Gothic storyline, which right. is 37 to 50, and then every writer after that, from uh, from um, um, Rick Veach up to Millar, had brought him in at some point. Got and it. so I had a pretty good feel for the character, even though. Even though a couple of those writers fell into what you and I were talking about earlier, a couple of the writers were really on were having him, had him speaking, and I won't say who because I know some of these people and I don't want to. <laughs> but 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 a couple of them had him saying things on the caliber of "Hello, Gotham." Yeah, type sure, thing. sure. <laughs> but the stories themselves were good, and uh, and so I said, you know what? Screw this! I'm doing it, and and. Uh, apologize to my wife because I, you know, we would still be able to somehow pay the mortgage while right. I went out and uh, collected all of what I had missed on Hellblazer. Loved that too, and then I, I just kept reading it. And then I said, 
Huh. Well, books of magic. I mean, I first, may as well keep going, yeah. right? Yeah. If books of magic first spawned with, as a John Constantine story, screw it. I'm I'm tracking down all the books <laughs> of magic, and and it just sort of went from there. I mean, and, okay. and, and there are there are periods of Swamp Thing and Hellblazer that I don't consider great, but the truth I think, is, I, I think it's I hard to say in 300 issues. Right. You're not going to have some fallow periods. Yeah, there's going to there's going to be some points where you just sort of smack your head and say, "Right, really? I shagged a lesbian. Really, <laughs> really a trench coat that comes to life." I got to really? tell you, I love that story. Uh, you know, I, I it seems to be one of the more polarizing ones because I know people who absolutely adore it, and others who absolutely hate it. I'm kind of in the middle. I think it had its charms. It, it was a cute idea. I don't know that it was that well executed, and so I think I might have liked it better if sure. I, like, for example, the characters that he has the coat going to, right, are kind of one dimensional. I think that okay. may be part of why I didn't open up to it. What but the bigger thing for me is I didn't like the, the coat's characterization. What we're talking I know about that's a strange is strange statement. Is that's during, right. Yeah, what we're talking about is during the the Pete Milligan Giuseppe Chemicoli run, which is the those two gentlemen finished the book. Um, yeah. There's a story where Constantine's coat is possessed itself because of all of the crap that John has put this coat through throughout these, these entire, you know, 30 years of, of stories. Uh, it finally has like a life of its own and it became like possessed by a demon. I think, and by it, the way, what you just said is exactly why I didn't like it. And I'll tell you why it's easy for people to have overlooked this. And I know Milligan clearly did, which is no, no disrespect to Milligan. Uh, but, he forgot that John didn't have the same coat throughout all those years. His coat was destroyed, and S.W. Manor bought him a new one. He'd only had it about ten years, and yet John ah. and the, yeah, John and the coat both seem to think they've been together for thirty. Interesting. And okay. He kept knocking me out of the story. It kept me. I kept saying, "But that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works." You know. Interesting. I yeah, never even so, put that together. Very good. And, and the truth is, had I not put that together, I might have liked it more. I think that that it just it kept bugging me that they clearly, but even the coat thinks <laughs> that it's thirty something years old. And I thought, well, no, it, that coat got destroyed. S.W. Manor bought him a new one. And Interesting. I thought, yeah, and I, I like I was like, damn it, I wish he'd remembered that because <laughs> the fact that I did remember it made it hard for me to take it seriously whenever. The coat kept talking about, you know, make, make, uh, making references to things it could not possibly have yeah. experienced. Also, the coat talked. Like, we'll just put that out there. It was. That's, well, yeah. That right there was what the, the. When I said before, the characterization of the coat, which is not a statement one normally makes. Correct. You don't normally refer to. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I, was, I, was, watching, uh, <laughs> I was watching Batman yesterday, and I got to tell you, I wasn't happy with how the cowl represented <laughs> yeah. itself. You know, we I don't feel like you could get away with a talking coat in Constantine, though. Like I'm that's sorry, one of the, I feel like you could get away with a talking coat in a concert. If, if they, anybody could, it's probably this. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I do understand what he was going for. I mean, the idea is that after 30, <clears throat> 10 years of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of being around a person performing exorcisms and, and, and getting covered in ectoplasm, if you're using go Ghostbusters talk, that's and right, yeah. doing all the things that, that he does, that the coat became tainted. And I, it's not a bad idea. I, I actually, I could. That's why I say that I was somewhere in the middle. But every time that the coat would talk, I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It just. Also, I thought the resolution was kind of dumb. The coat just. Yeah, I'm going to go back to my other guy. I, I know I, I spent the whole the whole storyline talking about how John is 
unsuitable and he's unfit to wear me. But you know what? I'm going back, I'm gonna go to, back him. to him. I feel like yeah. I feel like that story because that that storyline takes place as that series is wrapping up. I feel like yeah. Milligan had another story he wanted to tell, and that was the marriage of John and Effie and their relationship and fighting them fighting through all of John's crap to to be a couple. So I feel like they had to wrap that trench coat story up. Yeah. So you know maybe if they had been given more time. But I'm glad you. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So for me, it was there was a, a I don't know, it's, it's a Simon Beasley cover was sitting on a shelf at my local shop, and he had like the first I don't know, not the first ten, but like a ten issue run that was just sitting there, and okay. I I've known about John, I knew who he was, but I'd never read a book, and so I picked up those ten and I burned through them, and I was like. Same deal. Please, uh, may I have some more? Uh, <laughs> and I went back and I started falling into... I went back from issue one. And I so I started with the uh, Jamie Delano run, which was a little hard to get through, I'm not going to lie. Like, that was uh, not what I was expecting. But by the time I got to Grant Morris, or to Garth Ennis, and I was like, oh, here it is. Like, this is this is what I've wanted all of my life. And obviously Preacher is top three. Like Preacher is one of those comics. Uh, it's, you know, it's on AMC now, but if you ever get a chance, go pick up. Uh, I, I think there's maybe an absolute edition or maybe two, but there's, there's all kinds of collections on the Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon uh, Preacher run. And it's, um, it's, I, I reread it every year or two, and I, it's I, so I second good. your recommendation. It is one of the greatest things I've ever read. To me, so like my top five are, Kingdom Come, Preacher, uh, and then, honestly, Superman Birthright by Mark Wade and Lionel Yu. Uh, those are kind of the three that I always tell people to go read. I mean, Batman Year One and The Dark Knight kind of speak to themselves, and Watchmen yeah. is kind of on its on another level. Uh, but those are the five that I'm just like, if you want to start reading comic books, this is where you should start. Sometimes like people get Kingdom through Come. Preacher and they're just like, what are you thinking? And I was like, well, you weren't ready for that yet. You're a little, yeah. <laughs> you're unseasoned. You know, one, one, of the, one of the things about Preacher, as I find, because I reread it a, a, a lot, actually, yeah. uh, is unfortunately parts of it have gotten dated. I, uh, yeah. It's, it, it, but that's, it's, 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 it's inevitable. Uh, the, um, it, it's, it's, you know, when it, when it came out in the 90s, uh, there was a certain, um, there was a certain, what's what I'm looking for? Genesis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was a certain, there were certain attitudes that have changed. Yes. And so when you read it now, some of it seems a little on the quaint side and that's not to, to the detriment. That's not, I'm not saying that it's, it's not still readable because it, it absolutely is. It remains one of my favorite things, but, uh, one thing I think the TV show has been all over the place in, in quality. I uh, parts agree. of it have been I great, agree. parts of it have been horrible. But one of the things I do like that they did, uh, and, and, and frankly, given the unevenness of the show, it may be purely accidental that they did it right. But one of the things that I like that they did was treat the quaintness uh, as quaintness. So flashbacks. In flashbacks, Jesse has the mullet from the comic, for right, example. Right, 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 But not in the current day when he has, like, this little pompadour thing going on. Yeah, he's got the, the, the hipster version right, of, exactly. the, of, the, of the mullet. Right, and so I kind of like that they they recognize there are certain things that are quaint. Like, uh, 
they've had some fun with with Hairstar's hats, for example. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tulip in a recent episode uh, went (laughs) went under disguise and I burst out laughing because she had the comic character Tulip's hair. Right, right, yeah. I feel like that's like one of those Easter eggs. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I say that the the way that they've treated the quaintness of it may be accidental. Maybe they were just going for Easter eggs. But it's one of the things I think they do right because they, they, they... It prevents the show from coming off as corny. If you had... And th- those of us who, who love Preacher probably would have loved seeing Jesse, you know, with a mullet. <laughs> I, I, uh, I kind of hope, like, the where they said it, it felt like they could do that and get away with it. Yeah. You know, but it just didn't. I'm And going back to talking about casting, uh, the dude that is um, the vampire. Cassidy. Cassidy, thank you. I was like, that can't be right. Um, is pitch perfect. He, he there there are certain characters I think they've gotten right. I, the the three that for me the three that got it are, are fantastic. Cassidy, Hairstar, and the Allfather. Yeah, I think that's a are, good call. Good call. Oh my God! All three of these guys are exactly what they look like. What they what they're like in the comic. The the only difference is that I, I love the 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 the, uh, the the deadpan delivery of the guy who plays Star because sure, that, that's yeah. he, he basically is what I hear. When I hear Star's voice in my head while reading it, yeah, it, it, it in my head there's a slightly deeper timbre to it, but that's that's nothing. Like the point is, he so captures it. When they introduce the All Father, I actually burst out laughing because <laughs> I, I, you know, the, as you'll agree, I'm sure the All Father, much like Humperdoo, is one of the most. By the way, I love Humperdoo. What one one of the most cartoony aspects of the comic there. It, it, Garth there, Ennis has a bri- like so this I will say that Hellblazer made me fall in love with Garth Ennis. Uh, yeah. So from oh, I love Garth from Hell from Hellblazer out, if you if his name is on a book, uh, same way as that big red and yellow S, I'm buying the book. Right. Uh, some of now granted some of his stuff isn't uh, on the level. Sometimes uh, he works at some companies that don't really have the uh, bank account to pay a decent artist and i'm not disparaging those guys draw better than me that much is 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 noticeable definitely yeah but um garth ennis has this dry and dark sense of humor which lines up perfectly with constantine uh where it was steve dylan's art oh my god you know and rest in peace Steve dylan was made to work with with him yes there are i can name like again five creative teams that the synergy with those teams uh, is palpable, and Ennis and Dylan are probably number one. And and that is why I say that. Why I loved Humperdue and and and, uh, and the Allfather is that one of the things that Dylan had some fun with on Preacher was that certain characters, the more ridiculous ones, he would draw in a very hilarious way. Like it, 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 so you had Jesse and Tulip looking like normal people. But but Humperdoo looked like something out of Mad Mar- Ma- uh, Mad Magazine's yeah. Don Martin strips. Exactly, and it's the same and, thing and went the with their Punisher run. Kind of, yeah, the All Father kind of looked like the Liberty Bell in a coat. <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. And and Humperdoo uh, and and um, uh, uh, TC looked like something out of Deliverance. And so it it was to me these characters were hilarious, and so I wasn't sure how they'd come across on television. 
So when when the All Father shows up and he looks like the Liberty Bell in a coat, I cheer. <laughs> I said, "Oh my God, they actually did the All Father the way he's look." And Humperdue looks totally different. He does, but that's because nobody in the real world looks like a Don Martin strip. So there was not much they could do with that. So the fact I do that they got Arse Face into that show, they did. Although they had to, a, they had to change some stuff. I'm of two minds about the background. I, I, they've changed so much on R's face yeah. that the only thing he has in common with him is that he has a hole in his head. That's true, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, he, he's, for, for one thing, he's hideous in the comic. He's a cute guy. and the, the, like, you know, like, Girls might swoon over this <laughs> yeah. guy. So. I don't know how they're going to make out with him, but I'm sure he'll figure uh, well, it out. Well, you know, know it, no, <laughs> probably not that. But like, I could see girls saying, oh, he, he's good looking, even with the hole in his the face. The hole in his face, yeah. Right, and, and so that's... But I, but I think the actor does a damn good job. I just, I'm not fond of the whole, the way he's been written. Where, like, like, what the hell is Hitler doing in the show, for example? Yeah, that's fair. That's why fair. is he? Why, why does he spend all of his time in hell? You know, like his storyline from the comic is almost entirely absent. But which makes me worried for their Invincible run. Invincible is one of my favorite comics series of all time, and Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg uh, picked up the rights to that as well. So here, why does he keep letting Seth Rogen do this? I don't know. Hopefully, to me, Invincible is a movie. Like you need a budget to do Invincible. Invincible is basically Spider-Man meets Superman. Yeah. Um, So you need a big budget to do that movie, Uh, and I I I don't know if that's going to happen on TV. Well, the only thing I can say is that at the end of uh, the second half of season three of Preacher was wonderful. They finally found their stride. Everything involving uh, the Grail and and and, and Star and and and, and Daronique and, and especially the Vampire Cult, which is the one thing the show has done that I thought worked better than, than the comic. Movie. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I uh, because because the um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank on his name. The, the other vampire. Um, you got me. I'm I'm a season behind. Oh, okay, but you know the comic. Though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so you haven't met the All Father yet? No. I mean, oh, I know, I'm I know so he's sorry. in. Sorry, no, no, no. I know. I, no, no, no. Look, with the internet and spoilers, I know. So you've seen him? Yes. Okay. He 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 is pitch perfect. The way the guy talks, the 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 looks on his face when he when he's talking to Star and he knows that Star is lying to him. Everything about it is right out of the comic. And uh, the suitably over-the-top nature of a guy who weighs 4,000 pounds or whatever (laughs) he weighs, it it, it works remarkably well. But one of the things they brought in that I honestly figured they'd probably skip was the vampire cult, you know. And in the comic, it's kind of a one-off thing. He meets a vampire, and the guy's kind of a prat, and he decides, I don't like this guy, and, and he hangs out with posers, and I'm out of here. Right. But in the, in, in the show, it, it dominates the second half of season three, and it's one of the best things they did, because uh, Akaris, I couldn't think of his name, they, they make him a far more interesting character. The guy who plays him is fantastic, and the characters in the cult are interesting. And so, so this is one area where I think and uh, your your listeners may be in an uproar thinking I'm crazy <laughs> if they don't like preacher, but I think this is one case where they one upped uh, Ennis and Dylan, and I never expected to say that Seth That's, Rogen that, that is as a tough tough thing to do. It is because it, it's because one it's Seth Rogen. <laughs> That's true. It's like, and I don't mean that to slam Rogan, but he's not Garth Ennis in terms of writing. So the fact that 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 that, that storyline, in my opinion, was actually better. 
it kind of makes up for the whole pointlessness of of, of uh, Cassidy and his son in season two. <laughs> there, there, there was some season two to me was a mess because there were so many plots that just went nowhere and had nothing to do with the comic. Yeah, that and, was that. I almost gave up. I came close, but then I figure I'll see how season three goes. Season three starts off not good, <laughs> but within about two episodes, you go, huh? Oh, this there it is. Oh, yeah. oh, and then suddenly, like you think, I, I actually, for the first time, feel like I'm watching the comic, and it, it, it's, it took damn long enough. Yeah, but... sometimes it does, unfortunately. Yeah, and some some uh, shows don't make it, like Constantine. By the way, they, uh, they also make God a character this season, and he really is okay. Take us taking out the stupid cow outfit that he's wearing. Sure, uh, or not cow. I'm sorry, it's not a cow. It's a dog, right? Yeah, dog. Oh, it's dog. a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot because he's not wearing a mask, just the spots. So I'm picturing cow, but I realize no, no, it's a dog. Right, right, right. But uh, uh, taking aside, putting aside the stupid dog outfit, because in the comic he's always a, a buff guy and a you know who right. without a shirt on. But uh, putting putting that aside, uh, I, I think the guy who plays him is wonderful. Like they, they seem to be realizing what they were doing wrong. They okay. also bring in the devil, like all, all the all the fun stuff that was missing from the show. Uh, the, the, uh, Edison, in, the, in the second season, it, I'm sorry. And the fun stuff that was missing in the second season, they've added to the yeah, third season. Yeah, it seems like they like like they suddenly realize why are critics ripping us apart? Right. Oh, we don't have the characters that is <laughs> created. We have our own cast instead. So suddenly, in season three, Darnique and and the cult and the devil and God all become part of the story, like they should have been. <laughs> right. Yeah. From the jump. Yeah, and so anyway, we have derailed we ourselves. Have. But you know what? But, uh, but the this listeners is of the show know it's still Edison Dillon. Exactly. So. The, the listeners of Real Spoilers know that uh, tangents are what we do. So maybe it's quite we all should right. just rename the, the show Tangential Spoilers. I, oh well, see now you've trademarked it. And now we can't use it. So can't, great. But I yeah, get, that's that's uh, like uh, with with Fox giving everybody permission. <laughs> yeah. to give, you know, uh, all the Planet of the Apes stuff. I, I give you permission. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um. But I, Edison Dillon, by the way, uh, just to bring it back into into the Constantine uh, uh, area. Yeah. Uh, Edison Dillon, it, that's my favorite era of Hellblazer. It's a great that that I remember reading. Almost that. nothing about it is bad in my opinion. No, Almost nothing. It's it, <laughs> to me, it's a their run is perfect. I, uh, it, it, it introduces my favorite, my all time favorite of Const, uh, of John's love interests, Kit Ryan. She's wonderful. Yeah. The fact that we have not seen her in anything. Well, she shows up in, in in the Milligan run, but only briefly. Well, I mean, like in the in the, the in the current stuff. Oh, and, oh, I see. You what know, you like mean. she is she's the girl that got away. I'm kind of glad though, because I think other writers would screw it up. That's probably true. Um, Kit, Kit Ryan is the kind is the only time she's, is she I've the ever... Irish she the Irish gal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Kit, Kit Ryan is is pretty much the only time I've ever seen a comic book character and thought. If she were a real woman, I would fall in love with her. She, like, and everybody She's writes, like you're exactly right. Yeah, like, obviously, Lois is unattainable, or Carol Ferris, or Selena Kyle, but Kit felt like a real woman. And along those lines, Brendan Finn, who she was married to, yes. is one of my all-time favorite friends of Constantine. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, of Constantine. <laughs> yeah. It's what? That's tough. Like, that relationship between Brendan and John and Kit is all yeah. like it's it, it's heartbreaking it is heartbreaking but uh, he also introduces so many other great characters rick the vic and header oh man rick and the, vic Mage is one of my the rabbit <laughs> there are so many great characters that he introduces and so many great stories but uh he also is the the only writer who really got first of the fallen right yeah <laughs> 
because uh, he created them. The yes. ones that the ones that came later, you know, some of them really just took him in really doofy directions. He would, yeah. Oh, you know what? I, I got to take that back because I actually really like what what, what Paul Jenkins did with him too. Paul but Jenkins that, has, uh, to me, has an underrated run. Paul Jenkins is my second favorite run. Oh, interesting. Okay, see, yeah, for my it's I Pete Milligan for love me. Paul Jenkins. I, Milligan's run. You know what's funny? I, I've I've um I've reread all of Hellblazer several times, sure. and each time I come away with a different take on each writer. Uh, because when I read everything through, Delano was the was the entry point. I loved Delano until I read Ennis. Right. Okay. Because Delano was so different than 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 how Swamp Thing did it that I was really intrigued by the idea of 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 John as a very different person than what I thought he'd be. Right. But once I read the Ennis storyline, I realized how meandering the hippie thing was. That so it's yeah Delano is one of my least favorite runs because... Yeah, but there are aspects of it I really like. I really like the character of Mercury, for example. Oh, absolutely. But to Mercury me, is fantastic. And by the way, if I don't know if you've read John Shirley's two novels. I have not. But Mercury comes back. Oh, really? And, yeah. Uh, he brings back briefly Rich the Punk and Kit Ryan. Oh. But, uh, but he brings back Mercury as a main character, and that was fun. Interesting. I'll have to go find yeah. those. There's, and those are part of the continuity. Those are not outside the show. Okay, well, there's one caveat. Right, the only, yeah. <laughs> one thing that the one thing that that, that uh, John Shirley did that does jar things is that he seems to have conflated uh, Satan, I should say Lucifer rather, and the first of the fallen. As in he puts look, them together? Well, in that there are references to Lucifer being first of the fallen, but oh. Is it? But but the truth is, half of DC's writers make that same mistake. Sure, sure. Over the all of the who's who's and the the, the you know the, the the encyclopedias, they really seem to confuse the fact that they're not the same guy. So I just sort of shrugged it off because the books are fun, uh, and they fit very well into the continuity of the comics. So seeing Mercury come back was great. But other than Mercury. I agree. Oh, the other one is Joseph <laughs> Josephat P. O. Flynn, which was uh, uh, was one of my favorite Delano things. Oh, you, sure, yeah, that was good stuff. Jerry, o, uh, the guy who ended up being sucked into the world of literature yes. by Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, right, right. See, that's like that's that the was stuff wonderful. That, so to me, I compare the Ennis run to the Joe Kelly run on Deadpool. Uh, just stick with me. The Fabian Nasia and Rob Layfield run on Deadpool created that character, right? Like okay. they gave you who they gave you that he's the Merc with the mouth. They did. Well, they gave right. you, he was a mercenary. They gave you the look, but the Joe Kelly, Ed McGinnis run on Deadpool gives you the version that we know now, right? Okay, like, okay. so Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis are responsible for the Ryan Reynolds movie, the sense okay, of humor and all of that. Like the, the characters, the, the, um, the blind gal, like all of those characters come from the Joe Kelly Ed McGinnis run. The, okay. the the version of John that I fall in love with is the Garth Ennis, Steve Dillon, John. Jamie Delano sure. and Gary uh, John Ridgway gave us the character, and they gave us a version of the character where I feel like Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon give us the version that I love. When, when, I, um, when I was working on this book for DC, one of the things that they wanted me to do uh, was to write four essays breaking up all of Swamp Thing and Hellblazer into four eras and uh, discussing what each writer on the series up to... It, by the way, the book covers... Uh, stops at, at New 52. It, it just, it's it for just, the best. Yeah, it's just about the New 52 era. So they wanted me to, to discuss how each of the writers 
um, approach the character, what they brought to the title, and so forth. Uh, and then at the end is a um, is a thirty or forty page chronology. Just to, just to show you that uh, I'm I'm still up to my old tricks. <laughs> is a thirty forty page chronology uh, that does for Hellblazer what I did for Back to the Future and, and Watchmen and Planet of the Apes oh, with man. the timeline. Uh, and that took a lot of work because I had a far fewer pages to do it. <laughs> but, uh, uh, um, but the reason I bring this up uh, isn't isn't self-plugging, but it, it, it's because it's relevant to what you were just saying. Uh, one of the things I talk about in these essays is that whether or not you like each writer, each one adds something new. So Alan Moore introduces us to a man of a man of mystery. Yes. And Rick Veach uh, humanizes him a bit more. Jamie Delano gives him a background and makes him uh, a vulnerable person and, 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 uh, and gives him friends that we don't know. He gives us Chaz, for example. Uh, um, then comes along Garth Ennis and, and um, gives him cancer. Yeah, <laughs> and, well, that is one of my favorite stories. Him, yeah, absolutely, and gives him true love and gives him an arch nemesis, and but makes him a hard-drinking man who uh, – well, Delano had given him a drug problem, right. but, but Ennis gives him – makes him a hard-drinking pub crawler. Did, did Ennis – make him bisexual or was that always a thing that kind of floated under the surface that's actually it's interesting you ask that that it's one of the things that um it's uh it's one of those things that uh that i discussed in the essays the origin of it actually goes back to delano but it's subtle okay it's it's when his friend you remember his friend raymond sure the older man yeah when they again, like the, there are parts of, of 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 Delano I really enjoy, and Ray is one of them. I think Ray is a really great character when when he's uh, killed by gay bashers yeah. in Harper. Sure, uh, but uh, they what what John John's um, John's uh, narration throughout Hellblazer always offers some some very interesting insight into him, and it gave us most of the. Uh, revelations that he's bisexual. And the first one is very early on. I could be wrong, but I think it's issue seven when he when we meet Raymond and he says or Monda. I, I always pronounce it in my head as Bond. I've never heard anybody say. That's it. how I would say it too. Yeah, it's M O N D E. Right. I, uh, I, I'm assuming it's pronounced Bond. Um, and I would love it if somebody would correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'd like to be pronouncing it correctly. But uh, he he refers to how he how he's known Ray for years. Uh, and how uh, Ray Ray was how it's never gone beyond platonic because Ray was in love with a, with a soldier. Ah, now the okay. implication of that statement is if Ray was not in love with a soldier, it might have gone beyond platonic. Right. So that's the first hint, and it and it and there are a couple of little things uh, involving Ray. Uh, who who was it? Is it? I'm looking at a panel right now, and I can't... The panel is basically... It's it's John's inner monologue that says, Girlfriends and the odd boyfriend. Uh, they all have a habit, a nasty habit of walking out on me. A couple of weeks, and they've had enough. The mystique gets shabby, the jokes turn to digs, and the sex goes stale. Your lovable is he man... Sitting, he's sitting down... Next he's to, sitting in a laundromat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's issue 51. It's by John Smith, who's the first person to come right out and say it. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, obviously, they lean into that in the reboot. Uh, he they he is involved uh, with uh, with an African American man, and then his like there's a big story that goes along. It was a big deal, and people made a, a big kerfluffle about it. But it's the same people that don't read that didn't read the early. It's like when they made Alan Scott gay. 
and people well, look, were up in arms, and it's just like, how many Alan Scott fans are there really? Well, here's the thing. In my opinion, the worst thing about fandom is fans. The, yeah, the oh, worst, you're or, preaching to the choir, brother. The worst thing about movies and TV shows are viewers. The worst thing about comics and novels are the readers. And and I just alienated every single person who's listening to this. But No, not me. Here's why I say this. Take Star Trek. Star Trek, ever since its inception, has been a show that has preached tolerance. Yeah. It has preached equality, openness. It has preached um, uh, progressive values. So what do people what do what do what does half of fandom seem to have a problem with a black woman at, at the center seat of discovery a black man a, a, a captain of Deep Space Nine a female captain on Voyager a woman uh, who, a woman who's playing a gay character who isn't gay enough yeah, yeah uh, the fact the fact that there are gay characters on Discovery right <clears throat> all of this stuff are things people have complained about uh, the oh, people will say things like that the, the idiotic comics gate movement oh where, good lord all of that stupid shit yeah this is oh the by whole, the way you feel free to cuss like this is okay, yeah you're good to go but I, i've been i've been holding off no I no to yeah, I, you, look I to, yeah. no no it's all you <clears throat> well in that case fuck yeah. okay so <laughs> I, I uh all of that nonsense is 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 being is being dished out by people who don't understand the very thing they claim to be fans of, because comic books and 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 science fiction and fantasy, almost by definition, with the exception of a couple of strange anomalies, tend to be progressive in thinking. The whole idea behind and political, very political, but political in the stance of anti-fascism. Sure. So. Uh, anti-racism, anti-misogyny, anti-bigotry, anti, uh, anti-Islamophobia, all of this stuff. When I see people saying, uh, you know, the, the comic book equivalent of Make America Great Again, Ugh. I think to myself, why are you even reading this? Why well, it's are also you like your stuff isn't going away, right? Like, if you want to go read a male Thor comic, go buy the trades. There's a great run by Walt Simonson. It's, it's like it's like what I said about New Fifty Two. If if it works for people, fine. Between Swamp Thing and Hellblazer and and, and, uh, and back to, uh, um, books of magic, I've got close to nine hundred comics. I can reread at any time. Sure, and it's not. It, it doesn't go anywhere. Time to do it. It's not going anywhere. If I'm not getting new stuff in that continuity, well, you know what? That just means I can reread the other stuff and pick up connections I missed. Yeah, I'm if in the same boat. Where if, like if it doesn't click with me. Yeah. I just won't pick it up. And it's not it's not because again, it's a subjective art form. You know what? I read Jason Aaron's entire run. I have never missed an issue of his Thor run. From the jump to Jane Foster, spoilers, sorry. Uh <laughs> Thor. Because I like like if you can if you can give me a new version of you know, you tell the same story for Thor or Superman or Batman, it gets old. But if you can tell me that Dick Grayson's Batman or Jane Foster as Thor or Bucky Barnes as Captain America, spoilers, probably not for Infinity War, but who knows? Uh, I'll take those stories because I love comics. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't care if it. You know, going back to the Alan Scott thing, Alan Scott isn't even a blip on my. I know who he is, but I couldn't tell you the last time I I was excited for a solo Alan Scott story. So the fact that you made him a gay man with a husband, I don't care. Like, you didn't change the fundamentals of the character, you just changed one aspect to maybe make him relatable to somebody that doesn't have a character they can relate to. I felt the same way with Star Trek Beyond making Sulu gay. I thought it was cool. Yeah, why not? 
On many levels. I, uh, for one thing, uh, of all of the original uh, Star Trek characters, he's the only one who did, wasn't shown having a love interest at some point. That's true. That's true. And so there's nothing to say he's not. I know people will say, yeah, yeah, but Mirror Sulu had the hots for Uhura. Well, that, hey, Mirror Sulu is at least bisexual then. So right. what? Well, there's also, nothing, like, maybe it wasn't the hots. Maybe it was like there was a, you know, like a mutual friendship love between the two you know like well mirror sulu wanted to basically rape her i don't know that well, all right then <laughs> but that friendship but <laughs> that's fair that's not friendship yeah he he was sort of basically saying uh sleep with me so that when i become the captain i can i can do well by you oh well that, all right it, it was a power <laughs> that's thing. a little yeah. harvey weinstein ish but all right yeah exa- exactly yeah I, I don't know that i would call that friendship. <laughs> no it's not uh, but um but other than that the only time non-Mirror Sulu ever showed any interest in anybody was when he thought he was D'Artagnan and he called Uhura, ah, Theravigan, I will protect you. <laughs> that, that's it. And that's just because he was D'Artagnan and she was a woman and that's what D'Artagnan does. Like, it, it's not an indication he was straight or gay. Right. Uh, and so, for me, the fact that they made Sulu uh, gay did not violate anything. Nope. There's no point at which Sulu said, I am a street man. So, <laughs> that's right, a very good so, Sulu impression, by the way. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> there it so, is. So uh, so for me, it added something new. And and if you read the comics from IDW, uh, Sulu having a husband and daughter actually worked into the plot. In one so they story. so IDW puts out the movie verse <laughs> comics. They do both. Okay. <clears throat> they've had they've had a uh, actually the funny thing is. For for those who only watch the movies, there are three Kelvin Universe stories, right? Got it. Okay. But that, that's that's the tip of the iceberg because IDW, ever since the first movie, uh, has, has since 2009, has been coming out monthly with one or more stories. I will say, in. I used to work in a comic shop, and we had two, maybe three guys that ordered that on their on their pull list was every single Star Trek comic. Like it just said, I remember looking at the list, it said Star Star Trek, and in parentheses it just said all. Yeah, that's so, me. <laughs> right on. Well, those guys were the Star Trek guys and the Doctor Who guys. And we had one guy that would get every cover to those Doctor Who comics. Oh, uh, I don't do the alternate covers. Oh, my God. You're charging me uh, to buy 12 copies of the oh, same, same comic. Then yeah. <laughs> screw you for asking and screw me for saying well, yes. Well, so I'll, 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 I have partaken in the variant covers, depending on the artist. But I, I hear you. I'm not like the Batman 50 issue, the the wedding issue. I mean, when you look at it, they had like, I don't know, 30 different covers. <laughs> and I was like, I'll take the Art Adams one and the Jim Lee one. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I'm good. But yeah, so like talking about these char- this character, who are some of the creators, in your opinion, uh, we'll give a top three and top three writers, top three artists who have done the best version of Constantine. Okay, the writers... Uh, I, no matter what direction the comic goes later on, I will always have a soft spot for Alan Moore's version of him because Alan Moore gave us him. Yeah. Uh, and and I when he shows up with a speaking role in 37 as this smoking uh-huh. trench coated asshole who seems to know a whole lot more about Swamp Thing than Swamp Thing does. I was immediately intrigued. And one thing my friend Joe had said to me when he coerced me and bent my arm and, and, and made me on, on, on threat of my of my descendants live <laughs> read Swamp Thing. Uh, he said, just wait. Just wait till you get to American Gothic. And yeah. so I, th- th- this guy shows up, and I, I'm already still 
after 17 issues, I'm still reeling from the fact that Swamp Thing was never out, Colin. I'm still recovering from this. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, they've gone back and forth. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, so so I'm still, I'm still like, sitting there going, wah, and then, <laughs> and then that happens. Yes. A- and <laughs> I, 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 he shows up, and I think to myself, what a cool character. How does he know so much? The by the way, one thing that becomes clear when you reread everything of Hellblazer and Swamp Thing over and over, we really don't know how he knew this. No, nope. it's actually they never. He's never again shown to be an expert on elementals outside of Swamp Thing. No, nope. he's he, he's never somebody. Well, they who, kind of reference it in Justice League the the comic Justice League Dark. He's it's yeah, kind of kicked around, but that's pre but that's, that's New Fifty Two. That doesn't count. Yeah, what I mean is in the history of the pre-New 52 run, there's never a point where he's... Well, actually, I, I have to re- rephrase that, because he is an element, an expert on elementals in the John Shirley book. So uh, okay. That, okay. That, that, that. But other than that, there's not a point where he's saying, you know, if only the elementals were here. I know, I'll go I'll go help a water elemental to discover she's a water <laughs> yeah. elemental. Right? Like, there's never anything like that again. No, so there is it's, not. it's strange that the very reason that John was introduced is an abandoned plot point. Um, Thank God for that. But, yeah, but you're right, because he would have basically become the, the, the elemental catalyst. You yes, know, you exactly. need an elemental, go, get go have John talk to him. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we're going to make a bubblegum elemental. Go get Bazooka <laughs> Joe and John Constantine. He'll teach him how. We're on the way. We're on the yeah. So, but, but putting that aside, uh, Alan Moore, actually the interesting thing is, basically the first three grand, the first three dads that he had sure. would basically be the first four uh alan moore rick veach not you know what i'm wrong about that because jamie delano is not is, so yeah. Al, Al, alan moore garth Ennison, and paul jenkins by far okay like well above everybody else in my opinion are the three best at writing him and for me it's garth ennis uh pete milligan gets a mention because he is my introduction to john like ah. he gets bumped up there because his run was the first run that i read uh, and then it's a toss up. Like I really like Jason Aaron's, uh, young punk John, mm-hmm. like that run, I think is, is those few issues that he does. Um, but I'd have to agree that Jamie Delano is the, it's Garth Ennis, Jamie Delano and, uh, Pete Milligan with a, with Alan Moore coming in at like 3.5, <laughs> you know? Um, so in other words, you like, you really like how he writes John, even though, even though you don't like Delano stories. Correct. I okay, think I, I think that. his he gives you the foundation of John. Yeah. You know, he gives you the building blocks and then Ennis builds the mansion. Totally agree with you on this. Yeah. I, Delano's John became a vulnerable person and yes. that was the first time that I realized I actually liked the guy. See, and, and I love the character under Moore, but it's not someone I'd hang out with because he's kind of a, a jackass to people. Right, right. Whereas Delano made him a vulnerable person and you start to see why he's the way he is. It's a it's a cover up for being an, for having an unhappy li- uh, family life for for losing friends left and right it, it's all a it's a facade he puts up cuz he gets people killed when he's nice yeah, to them yeah that's exactly it like anybody that yeah. gets close to john is going to die like that's just and that, kind of by the... the way one of my favorite things that that in, 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 in all of hellblazer was meeting his his cast of ghosts and how oh, seeing how so great. it kept getting larger as yeah, time went. Yeah. Because Brendan joins it and Rick DeVic joins it and so forth. And as far as Milligan goes, it's interesting that you that you point out that Milligan was your introduction. You see, when I was a kid, 
Roger Moore was my introduction to James Bond. Now I'm old enough yeah. that I was alive during the Connery era, okay. but but on HBO and on, and so forth, I tended to see the Roger Moore films, and so he introduced me to them. And then very quickly, I started watching the others. So I loved the Roger Moore films until I saw all the others. Ah, so Ro- Roger Moore was my entry point, but I very quickly discovered that that the Connery films and Honor, Majesty's Secret Service are far better. <laughs> Which is so, uh, that as a bold statement for some non-hardcore Bond people. The sure. Honor, Majesty's Secret Service is one of those ones that gets left off a lot. Well, you know, it used to be. These days, people, a lot of people have reevaluated it, and, and, I, and I'm glad because – okay, I know we're, we're totally tangential. It's what we now. do. It's all good. And I just made up the word tangentializing. I'm going to put a little TM after it. <laughs> uh, so I expect uh, royalties if you use it. I, but abs- from real spoilers, definitely. Here's my opinion, uh, on uh, my totally unsolicited, unexpert opinion on why the Lazenby film – didn't go over well. These days, when a new actor is 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 announced for Bond, we're already speculating who will replace that actor. Yes. So Daniel Craig comes along, and they go, "Oh, I'm looking forward to the Daniel Craig run. I hope Mel Gibson gets him there." <laughs> no, I'm joking. I don't hope Mel Gibson. But the point is, we're saying 10, 12 years from now, uh, here's who I want to replace him. Back then, it was very different. Connery comes in at Doctor No. Now, diehard fans know that wasn't the very first James Bond, but Correct. in terms of, in terms of the film series. Uh, because, but strangely enough, not only Barry Nelson, but Roger Moore had predated him. Is that right? Roger, Roger Moore played James Bond in an episode of, um, what was it called? Mainly Millicent? Oh, I think it was called Mainly Millicent. It was a, a sketch show kind of like Carol Burnett. Okay. And Roger Moore played James Bond in an episode of that before Connery. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, and Barry Nelson did it in the 54 uh, Casino Royale. So, but then Connery comes along and, and becomes the role. So here's what happens. They make five movies with him, and then he leaves. Right. At that point, I think if God had played James Bond, <laughs> people would have said he's not powerful enough. That's probably true. If Hitler had played James Bond, they would have said he doesn't have enough strength of conviction. <laughs> right? That's very – yes. So – so it, it, it the problem is that Lazenby, who was a, not a seasoned actor, steps into a role, a really beloved role. Uh, even even by, back then. Yeah, yeah, played by a really beloved actor. And he was rejected, in my opinion, because he wasn't Connery. But the movie has so much going for it. And anyone who's sitting there going, that Hanley's a fucking moron, needs to rewatch <laughs> the movie. Forget Connery while you're watching it. Just watch it. It's got one of the best plots. It does. It's got, it's got the best of all the movies, the best Bond girl. Tracy's fantastic. Yep. It has uh, one of the best Blofelds. The, the music, the soundtrack to that film is unreal. And... It's, so what ends up happening is they bring back Connery and Diamonds Are Forever is stupid. It's not good. So, yeah, it's not. And, uh... and, and, they, and then they move on to Roger Moore. But what has happened at Roger Moore is we have now had three actors right. in, three, in three actor changes since Connery left twice. By the time Pierce, uh, Pierce Brosnan and Tim Dalton, Tim rather, Dalton, and yeah. Pierce Brosnan come along, we've all gotten used to the idea that Bond is many different actors. Right. So at this point, we accept them all. Now I know there were people who said, Daniel Craig, he's blonde, blah, blah, blah. The whole... James Blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that stupidity. Uh, it, the point is that right now, we're saying, oh, there's another film coming. I wonder if Idris Elba is going to replace him. Sign me up. Right. So that's the thing. So at this point, 
we are very accepting of other actors. I think the biggest problem Lazenby faced is he simply was the first one to change. That's, that's, look at you. Like that's and uh, I, you, you need to talk to Lord knows whoever owns the Sony. I guess now that's who owns James Bond. Who, I think <laughs> talk to them. See if you can get yourself a James Bond book going, my friend. I would love to. Yeah. So yeah. So, so, there you go. go. That's that's go my pet theory. I think if Lazenby had been the third or fourth, he would have had. A, he would have. He'd be a fan favorite. Interesting. I also think if if he hadn't had a, I, I interviewed Lazenby years ago for Cinema Fantastic magazine. Yeah. And. Yeah. One of the things that he told me was that he really regretted leaving after one film. He had done it because he took really bad advice. Oh, that that someone had basically someone had really bolstered him up with the confidence to expect to be paid on the level of Connery and to be, you know, it, it basically he he was new to it. He he sure, he was sure. he was not a seasoned actor, and I think he did a very good job. I know not everyone does, but I really like his performance. But I also think. Roger Moore in Live and Let Die is one of his is not his best performance. No. Connery in, in Doctor No is not his best performance. In other words, had Lazenby stayed with it, he would have become another Connery or, or more because he would have grown. I do right? notice you don't mention don't, Dalton in don't. this run. I happen to love Dalton. I like the first Dalton. I, I, I think Dalton hit it out of the park from the get go. And uh so to me I have no problem with, with Dalton. Um I think Brosnan was a great choice, but I only like one of the Brosnan movies, which yeah, is that's true. Goldeneye. Well he was I, I mean Goldeneye is was he supposed to take over at Dalton and he couldn't get out because of Remington Steel? You know, it, it's it's amusing. Uh each of the actors who have played him have been connected to the character before playing him. So you have Roger Moore played him before he became Bond, right. uh, uh, mainly Millicent. I think I may be rem- misremembering the show's title. I think it's mainly Millicent, but it's something Millicent. So Roger Moore. Then you've got Tim Dalton, who had been offered the role at one point, but he felt he was too young. Okay. Then you have Piers Brosnan, who was offered the role, but he couldn't get out of Remington Steel. <laughs> so each of these actors, uh, uh, the one, the one difference is, is Lazenby, who hadn't been offered it previously. But uh, otherwise, these actors all were connected to Bond, and then later on played played them later. So we should yeah. say back to Constantine. Uh, there has been a plethora of top tier talent that have worked writers who have worked on this book: Brian Azzarello, Warren Ellis, uh, Grant Morrison. Yes, and uh, obviously we've talked about Pete Milligan, um, just to name a few. Who are the guy? Jason Aaron is another one, who cut their teeth on Constantine, and I yeah, think it's a yeah, and, and which is a weird thing to say, but look at their and um, look at their runs. Like the Jason Aaron is is spotty because he only does like he drops in and out, but Azarello had a long run. Warren Ellis had a long run. Uh, Milligan finished the book. Uh, Grant Morrison. I think Grant Morrison was also one of those kind of ones that would drop in and out. Grant Morrison had only a couple issues. Yeah. Neil, Neil Gaiman had one. Yeah, that's Eddie right. That's Campbell right. Had, yeah, Eddie Campbell had four. Right. So it's like it's kind of a who's who of current. It, it really today. is. Yeah. And then you've got the you've also got the miniseries, you know, and and the one shots and the graphic novels. So yeah. there are there are there are stories outside the main comic that are written by Cy Spencer and, Which and is other. One of my other, favorites. That's yeah. I have and Sean Murphy, who Sean Murphy. Yep. If you don't know who that guy is and you're not reading comics, uh, go pick up Punk Rock Jesus. Go pick up uh, The Wake. Uh, you can pick up Batman White Knight, and he's working on something else now, but he's not really saying too much about what it is. 
Uh, and what well, about what about? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that. From I, I just want to add that some of my favorite Hellblazer stuff is outside the the the, the, the main comic. Sometimes it is. I, yeah. I absolutely love the 2000 annual Suicide Bridge. Oh, that's uh, a great I, one. Yeah, you're right. I, I absolutely adore all his engines. Yep. Uh, the graphic novel. Uh, Dark Entries is one of those overlooked graphic novels that uh, from Ian Rankin. It is a must read, yeah. especially in today's climate, because it, 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 it equates reality TV to hell. Yeah, and which isn't and too far off. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, 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 so it, it's, it tends to be overlooked in discussions, I've noticed. It, but I recommend highly getting dark entries. Uh, Pandemonium is a strange one from Delano. He came back years ago. Yeah, it's that is a weird one. It's beautifully drawn. It's kind of oddly written, but I like it. But uh, all his engines and, and, and dark entries, to me, are fantastic. Uh, Suicide Bridge. Uh, the, as far as the miniseries go... I have a soft spot for the uh, Papa Midnight miniseries, even though it totally contradicts. It does a little bit. That's Midnight true. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a there's a Papa Midnight series. There's a Chaz series. There's yeah, there's you know, there's a late uh, late team by Phil yeah, Noto, I think. There's what Phil Noto, I think, was the that might be yes. Is that Jamie Delano as well? No. No, Jamie Delano did um uh, the bad the bad blood. That's right. Uh, oh, the one that got pulled. That that one. What, no, no, it, it was published. It bad, was, bad blood. Yeah, bad blood takes place. It's called bad blood or restoration comedy, and it takes place when Constantine is an old man. It's actually a really interesting story. I, I reckon. I think it might be the first miniseries of Hellblazer. It uh, it, the idea is that in a alternate future, a fa- uh, Britain has become truly fascist. You're not even allowed to. Uh, to say negative things, right? And and Lady Diana has become worshipped as a deity. Oh, and, and honestly, uh, we're not too far from that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, <clears throat> that is true. I was actually in Britain a month ago, and and people really like Diana. Yeah, uh, she's she's a big deal. Yeah, so uh, the, the Lady Diana is 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 considered the they call her. Um, Oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. It's not the lady. What do they call her? I can't think of what it is. I don't know. What, whatever, whatever it is, she has this title. There are statues and people come to the shrine of Diana to worship. They 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 bob her their hair like hers and wear oh, her. Oh wow! And what ends up happening is that Constantine, as an old man, um, ends up decrepit, living in this ghetto. Because if you let's be uh, honest, where would he end up? Where would he end up exactly? Right. Because if you if you if you're someone who refuses to stop smoking and stops uh, swearing and stop drinking and stop being a bad person, you're not allowed. Uh, you're not you're not afforded things like living in the city uh, outside the grotto. You have to uh, the ghetto. You have to live in the ghetto. You're not given health care. You're not uh, you're not allowed to do things. Kind of like Starship Troopers. If you don't serve, you can't <laughs> yeah. vote. Right, right, right. It's that kind of thing. If you're if you're not a good citizen, you don't get to, to do pretty much anything other than live in shit. Huh. So he befriends a woman who, uh, in the midst of all this, the the last surviving heir to the to, uh, to the throne of England dies. Okay. And uh, the uh, this group of aristocrats decides that they're going to manufacture a new Diana by by presenting the world with a, a television miniseries about the long-lost bastard offspring of, uh, of, uh, of, okay. of a royal prince. And they just say the prince. They don't tell you which one, probably because <laughs> they don't want to get sued by the royal family. Yeah, right, right. But, There's some uh, people so, you want to go to war with. I feel like those probably aren't that Exactly. Yeah. And it turns out that it's Constantine's friend. And so Constantine gets caught up 
in this uh, in this effort to protect his friend from being used and abused by the British monarchy for the sake of um, creating creating a new British monarchy. Okay, and, and it's a really unusual and uh, and um, uh, subversive type of story. It, it's probably, in my opinion, Delano's best work on Hellblazer. Interesting. I also I was thinking of Shoot First. Which is that the Warren Ellis one shot? Oh shoot! Yeah, shoot! Yeah, shoot! Was, was the shoot, one that it, got pulled. That's the one that got pulled. And uh, yeah, that's it. You know, it's funny. For years, I had heard about it because, like, like everybody else, I was curious what it what it was. Right. I mean, we all knew it had been pulled, but the story wasn't available, and so this mystique built around it that it was going to be the second coming of of comics. And when it finally was, if it was released online for years, it was, right. you know, it pirated. But then it was eventually released by by Vertigo. It was like a Vertigo hundred page special or something like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and and uh, it's a good story. Um, uh, honestly, I don't think it's his best one. No, I would agree. It, I was surprised at how non monumental it was. Now that's not putting it down. It just because they, they, of the way, because it, of the way it was built up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was hyped a lot. Um, it's an enjoyable story. I, I think DC made a mistake when they pulled it. Yeah, probably. Um, I get the thinking behind it, though. I mean, at the time, Col- uh, um, the Columbine had just happened, and th- th- there were other schools. The school, the school shooting every every day thing that we have it wasn't a thing. Wasn't a thing, yeah. but it had it started. It, it, there I was, was. I remember. I was in. It was one every couple of weeks. Like it, it was starting at that point. Was that ninety nine? Columbine was ninety nine. Yeah. So and, I was and, a senior in high school when that happened. So, so there was, you go. So yeah. it was Columbine is the one that drew attention, but there were others at the time, and because of all the attention Columbine got, DC felt very uncomfortable about publishing a story in which the main character says these kids are dying because they're choosing to stand there and be shot. Right. And so I get why they were reluctant to do so. What I would have done would have been to talk to to Ellis and say, "Listen, keep writing. We will publish this in a year." Right. We're not going to we're not going to get rid of we're not going to shit can it. Right. But we would be really insensitive to Columbine families if we publish this now. Right. But it's a good story and you're actually making an interesting point. That, that should be delved into, and so, but it would be insensitive. So please, by all means, keep going. We will schedule this in when the time is right. That's how I would have handled it. They didn't. And they, they, they put stand. it out ten years later. Like it was a long time before that came out. It was a long time after it came out. And I'm glad that they did. Uh, but it 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 um it is strange to see that one standing on its own because it's not nearly as standalone in terms of. A big, a big event. Sure, right? it, sure, sure, sure. As it became by being set off from the rest of the title. Right. Uh, whereas things like Pandemonium or All Our Engines or Dark Entries or any of the miniseries are events. These are right. things, or, or even Suicide Bridge because it's an annual. These are events. These are bigger stories. Um, shoot is not a bigger story because it wasn't written as one. It's just it was written as just the it's, next issue. Correct. It's, it reminds me there was a, a run of Blade that came out uh, right after, right around the movie, and each issue was a one-shot. They were, they just told a self-contained story. So it kind of reminded me of that, where it was just kind of, I, I feel like it may have been just like a filler issue. They're just like, we need to give whoever was on the book at that point just a, maybe a little bit of a break. So mm-hmm. do you have a story? And Ellis, I'm sure, pumped that out. Because Ellis is a fantastic writer. I'm currently reading The Wild Storm by him now, which started off a little shaky, but now that we've figured out what we're doing with it, it's like, oh, this is super interesting. 
Um, I have to admit, I haven't read it, but it sounds, it sounds it, interesting. It is the first few. You're just like, are we are we rebooting the Wild Story? What are we doing? And then when they get about, I don't know, a third through it, you're like, oh, this is. Ex- I won't I won't spoil it for you, but this is exactly what we're doing. Uh, oh, cool. So as we wrap this up, we'll talk about artists. Who are some of who are your top three artists who you think capture um, John the way he should be? Well, it, you, you can't discuss Constantine artists without mentioning Stephen Arbissett, John Tolliban, and Rick Veach. You because, cannot because they created him. Yes, and and uh, it, before Alan Moore did, I might add. Yeah, and uh, and their look to me is the definitive one. The the guy with the cigarette near his mouth, his eyes sort of his face sort of turned down, his eyes up, with the with the, with the trench coat and and the very sting like face and hair. It's not very sting like. It is it, it sting like. <laughs> and and so uh, and we say sting. We should. I'm not talking about the wrestler. I know you people love know that I love wrestling. No, obviously we're talking about the sword from Lord of the Rings. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. what? So, uh, uh, yes, yeah, st- the the basis for John Constantine was Sting from the Police. Yes, like, and that's I actually, exactly who he looked like. Yeah, and after I answer your artist question, I have a pretty cool story about that to, yeah. to tell. You. Um, so those three right off the bat, which well, you said three, so I guess I've already answered it, but there are others. <laughs> like to me, uh. uh uh, to me, Steve Dillon yeah. uh, comes next after them, just because you can put I them in one. They can all be one, one point one, one point two, one point three. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Bissette Talabinovich, uh, and then, <laughs> and then uh, Steve Dillon, and let me think about this for a minute. Um, I don't remember who drew all our engines, but I loved it. The I love the art in that. Um, was it? Was it? It wasn't Leonardo Fernandez. Could have been. Okay. Could have. Okay. You know, I actually. Give me one second while, I'm, while we're talking. <laughs> I actually created a, uh, a, a an Excel spreadsheet while I was Look at doing, you. Well, I, I needed to while I was doing the. Uh, <laughs> it lists all of the creators okay, when, I, when, okay. I, when I was doing the um, the uh, the DC book. Uh, so I'm just going to look this up. Yeah. So, um, uh, but while I'm at it, let me see. I will say for me, it's the same deal. Like your 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, who give you the best representation of John. Um, and then honestly, I love Giuseppe Chemicoli. Like I love the old man. I love his art in general. Um, but the old man, John that he drew, I thought was fantastic. Um, and to me, yes. honestly, I, he, he never did interiors, but Tim Bradstreet doing the covers like Tim Bradstreet's Bradstreet, covers are, are, are just astonishing. Yeah. He's, he's the other guy. I know he never did an interior art, but his covers were next level. Um, and the same way with Lee Bermijo. I also really like Will Simpson's art during the Garth yeah, Sinister. that was good and stuff. He also, uh, I, I like Sean Phillips. His work on the John Smith issue you mentioned was really good. Yep, he was great. John, um, Sean, Sean Phillips, who's still working. Like, some of these yeah. guys aren't working as much anymore, but Sean Phillips is, uh, hitched, his, hitched his wagon to Ed Brubaker, and those guys putting out Criminal uh, is marvelous. I, I, there's, there's an art. There's an artist that you, uh, years ago I would never have mentioned on the list, but now I do. Uh, when I was re-re- I reread everything uh, in preparation for doing the, the, the DC book, just because I needed it all fresh in my head, sure. and, so that I, and so I could write that chronology at the end. And uh, I found myself reevaluating several of the runs, and two of them in particular are Azarello and, and Milligan. And here's why: Azarello and Milligan's runs I never liked. Interesting. I okay. That, 
I thought that Milligan really didn't have a good grasp on John, and I felt that Azzarello turned him into a background character in his own story. He was this grinning Cheshire cat of a guy who walked into a story, said boo, and people freaked, and then he walked out, and the story kept going. Okay. And also, he honestly, he never he never wrapped up his major storyline. No, there he were didn't. That never got that were dangling. So one one person I would never have thought I would be mentioning is Marcelo Fresen. Oh, Fresen. yeah, good call. He, because I, I I always equated him with the Azarella run, but something happened when I reread it this last time. I suddenly started really appreciating Azarello in a way that I hadn't before. Who gets, I who gets thought, to write him again in Batman: The Damned, uh, which is co- which is coming out here in a little bit? It's uh, Azarello and Lee Bermijo doing a Batman Constantine story. Well, when I eventually read the New Fifty Two, <laughs> I think but, uh, so. This is this is I, Black Label. Like it's it's not New Fifty Two. It's their own like uh, high end like, imprint. Elseworlds type stuff. No, it's not Elseworlds, but it's but like it's, the high. It's, it's so like continuity, right? It's kind of. Then yeah, then I'm gonna wait because I want to read it all in order. That's fair, but. Uh, but I've always, even when it was coming out, I really enjoyed um, uh, Azarello's first story, Hard Time. I thought it was it's a great. great story. And then after that, it kind of, in my opinion, started falling apart because I didn't care about S.W. Manor and because John walking along the side of a road meeting Redneck after Redneck <laughs> wasn't working for me. But that's because I wasn't connecting with the material. I'm not sure it was the material. It might have been me. Okay. Because when I read it this time, I suddenly really got caught up in the three Furman brothers. By the way, I don't know if I'm a complete moron, but I never together. Up, <laughs> I, I never picked up on a really funny joke involving the, involving the Furman, Furman brothers, which is ironic given my name. My name is Richard. Yes. All the three Furman brothers are named Dickie, Rich, uh, Dickie Richie, and, and Lucky, but all three of them have the same first name, Richard. I never noticed oh. that they were all named Richard Furman. I don't know how I didn't notice it because it's right there with Dickie and Richie. Right. But 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 this time I was like, wait a minute, Lucky's name is Richard. Holy shit, they're all named Richard. <laughs> they're all the same. I don't know how many times I've reread the run, never picked it up. That's I'm funny. an idiot. That's funny. And especially given what my name is. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, I. Uh, but something really connected with me with Azarello, and so this time, instead of being disgusted at the fact that it didn't wrap everything up. I was disappointed yeah. because I wanted to know what happened next. Same and the same thing can be said for Milligan. I hated Milligan's run the first That's time. So crazy. I mean, I, not, I, it's, it's, it's it's crazy to me because that was my entry. I just felt that John was John was what when you when you if you ever get a chance reread all of Hellblazer. I know it's a big undertaking. I am but, slowly putting together. Obviously, I'm not going to crack those comics out of their sleeves, uh, but I'm slowly putting together the trades. Okay, yeah. when you have all of them, read them from Delano up to Milligan, and you'll see why I feel this way. Because I'm still not fully sold on him, but I enjoyed him a lot more this time. The problem is this. When you look at the evolution of the character, he starts off he starts off pretty clean cut during the Alan Moore days. Sure. He has like a three-piece number. He's, he's well manicured and well washed and so <laughs> forth. He doesn't say fuck every, every third word. Right. He's, well, he's, he's a classy guy. And through the Delano era, he beca- he falls uh, he falls to drug use. Right. He starts not giving a shit about his looks. He's uh, he much like my my um, much like me in the last five minutes. He starts using profanity more than he was <laughs> earlier. He stops shaving. 
in the course of in the course of uh, uh, the the Garth Ennis look, he starts wearing shabbier clothes. And over the course of over the next several runs, Jenkins run, the guy's never sober. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. So you know, you you, you get into uh, you get into other runs. He's he starts really falling apart. Then you get to uh, you get to the um, the era of Mike Carey. Oh, by, I, you know, by, that's one of those eras I always forget about. At the end of Mike Carey, he's decided, you know what? I'm a fucking stupid person. Yeah. I have, I have let magic ruin my life for too long. I have let people get hurt. I have done self-destructive behaviors. I'm walking away with this. So he sets fire to the lockup containing all of his stuff. He says a big F you to the magic world and everybody in it at the club, at the Tate Club. Yep. And he walks away from it. And when we see him in the, um, oof, oh, oof, 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 uh, Andy Diggle. When we see him in oh, the Andy Diggle yeah, okay. run, Andy Diggle has him clean. He's wearing this a very similar outfit that, to what he did in, in the um, in, in the Alan Moore days. He he uh, he cleans himself up. He starts showering again. He starts <laughs> shaving again. He walks away. From, he stays away from magic. He walks away from drinking. He buys Ravenscar, which has been turned into a hotel. He buys it, fires the staff, excises the demon in it, burns it down, manages to pull the the, the golden boy that had been the, half of himself out, right. gets all of the self-destructive nature on, and moves on with his life. So then what does Milligan do? Goes right back Milligan, to it. After that remarkable character evolution, almost immediately has him running around uh, in unwashed clothes, right. with with his tie half over his head and, and three days of growth, constantly, you know, basically doing the equivalent of taking crack, oh, hanging out, right. with, hanging out with gangsters, uh, you know, snorting his own feet if he can get away with it. Is that how he? Is that how he met Effie? Was he yeah. was he working with Effie's well, dad? Actually, he knew Epiphany going back years ago. Like their backstory is that years ago when she was a little kid, right, 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 he had done some work for Terry Greaves, right. And this is one of the creepier things Milligan did. She falls in love with him at age, I think, nine. She's very young. She decides, I'm going to marry him. Is that, cre- is that creepier than his evil twin having raping his niece? Okay, that's pretty creepy. That's pretty creepy. Uh, but the idea of a nine-year-old wanting sex... That's also it, creepy. Yeah, that's fair. It's creepy, yeah. right? So, it, it, but yeah, okay, let's face it. He's creepy. I mean, every, like he, <laughs> right. he, pretty much half of what he does in his run is kind of creepy. Yeah. And... Uh, so he, that's, that's the idea is that, is that, is that Epiphany runs, falls in love with him very early on. And, uh, uh, she runs into him a few times over the years. One of the biggest problems I have with his run is that his run is not consistent with what came before. Sure. You'll see if, when you, when you see the 30th anniversary book and you get to the timeline, I had a hell of a time placing any backstory for Milligan's run anywhere, anywhere else. because. I gotcha. If you go by Epiphany's age, there's, there's, there are scenes where she supposedly ran into John in England during the Azzarello run when he was only in the United States. It's things like that. Ah. Like as, as a guy who pays attention to this stuff, I found the Milligan run jarring because there are so many times when Milligan gets the history I guess, wrong. I guess when I'm reading but, the Milligan run, it reminded me of the John from the Ennis run. Like those two versions of John are kind really? of similar. They are a little what? bit. I mean, you know, like the... The that's interesting. Fast talking, um, willing to make a deal with just about anything to get myself out of the situation. 
but always having a bad like you think he's a okay. bad you think he's a bad I guy actually, right I, I get what you're saying yeah I'm sorry what you think you think he's kind of made a deal to sell somebody's soul to get himself out of a situation but kind of like Sherlock Holmes there's a back door where yeah, like he I tricks he tricks the demon or whatever yeah I think the other thing is I, I have to be honest with you I was not a fan of the artwork and I'm still not of from the chemical his artwork. Yeah, and I know that you've praised him a few times, I and have. that's that's cool. That's cool, you know. Like, you, you, opinions vary, and that's a good thing. I, I'm all for differing opinions. So it's, otherwise, discussions would go like this. I think this. Me too. Okay, <laughs> right. talk about that. He he does. A, he's actually on the Darth Vader comic now, and it's fantastic. Like him drawing Vader, is a match made in heaven. I think sometimes the problem I have with it, uh, with 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 the uh, with the issues that. Uh, uh, Kevin Culley and I think what was the other Stefano Landini I think was the uh, other artist. possibly yeah yeah when the two the, the the work that the two of them do it almost looks to me and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to put a disclaimer at the end of this because it's gonna sound like I'm saying something offensive <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna put a disclaimer that makes it okay okay uh, it almost looks like they were having epileptic seizures while drawing it I can now, I can see my, my that. disclaimer my disclaimer is that my son is epileptic okay. I, it's okay if I say that <laughs> <laughs> I'm all it's all because, right with me because my son and I have always joked around joked around about it because it makes it easier to deal with like we would say things like you know if ever you uh, stop having epilepsy we're gonna do a party and he would say, <laughs> and he would say yeah you could serve shakes well done sir <laughs> you know, th- well done but like how old this. is this boy he, well he's 16 now I think perfect. he was 13 at the That's time a perfect so sense of humor uh, he's my son he has no choice <laughs> so so therefore yeah we can serve shakes yeah uh, so um, uh, so uh, when I say that it almost looks like they were having seizures while drawing it I don't mean it to make fun of epilepsy I'm making fun of the way they drew it right no I get it yeah, so, yeah right on yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it looks like their hands weren't steady now I know that's a stylistic thing, sure. and it may work for you, and that's really cool because I'm sure there are people who can't stand Steve Dillon's work, which boggles think, my mind. I think they're crazy, but I'm sure they're out there, and that's a you know that's totally a valid way. Of, there are probably people who are on serious. Those people are wrong. Drugs. Yeah, exactly. There, there are probably people who are on major amounts of drugs who don't like Bernie Wrightson's work, but those huh. people we we won't talk to. Yeah, so you, you can go off in your own little <laughs> Q non corner and hang out with those guys. We'll talk about the big boys. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, um, that, uh, that, that, um, Kevin Coley doesn't have talent because he does. And, and, and in fact, on Spider-Man, title, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think that the guy's a talented artist and it might work for another title for me. Okay. I just, I never liked John looking like he, he, uh, was in the process of sitting on a jackhammer. That's fair. <laughs> so, I sound like I'm being unusually harsh. No, I no, no. I look like that, I like because I'm the f- kind of guy who jokes about everything. It's just the way I am. No, so, I think I think I don't comics, mean any disrespect to Cam and Coley or anybody else. Com- again, comic books, along with any other art form, are a subjective media, and yeah. I I totally understand that Cam and Coley may not be everybody's cup of tea. I mean, there are plenty of artists who I uh, don't like. But they are superstars. So, you know. Uh, yeah, and that's, I mean, did you have anything else artist-wise that you were a fan of? Um, let's see. I know there was one that you were looking up. 
Yeah, we we we've gone so off the mark. Oh oh oh, uh, Leonardo Manco. There we go. Yeah, and who is fan- remember, he's also I fantastic. I remember Manco's first name. That was what I was looking up. I couldn't. I was drawing a blank on his name. Leo Manco's work is amazing. In fact, I um I'm not a fan of the of the Denise Mina run. It's the one era of Hellblazer I find very difficult to trudge through. Yeah, Manco's work is what gets me through it because it's not a well written story in my opinion, but um. Although I, I will say this, I think Mina is a very good writer. She's a fantastic I think, writer. I think that she has a great gift for Constantine as a character. She she had him down. She understood him better than some of the other authors. And the dialogue was often beautiful. Yep. Uh, but the stories just they didn't they were nonsensical. They they made no sense to me. Uh, she started things and didn't finish them. I, I think that the problem was she was a novelist, not a comic writer, and really didn't know. You see, she that, wasn't she wasn't good with the with the uh, with the medium. You right? see so that problem I a lot. Yeah, like that is and still so, a problem. Yeah, it happens all the time. And so I, I think, but I, at the same time, I mean, look at Nancy Collins' Swamp Thing run. Uh, I adore that's it. True, that's a good point. Nancy Collins was a, was a uh, was a, was a horror writer, still is, and and I. Uh, was relatively new to comics. I mean, these days, you know, she's well known for Vampirella and other titles. But, uh, but when she she was relative, as far as I remember, she was relatively new to comics when she came into Swamp Thing, and she she gave us Lady Jane. She did. I mean, one of the greatest characters in Swamp Thing. So, you know, it, I should put the I should put the disclaimer in that that uh, that I know Nancy and have actually collaborated with her. So, I, I if I come off like her champion, people, I should I just for. Full of disclosure, I should put that in there. Okay. <laughs> long before I knew her, I was a big fan. Right. Of, when, when Joe gave me the comics, one of the things he had said to me is, you're going to love, as much as you love more, you're going to love Collins. And when I read it, I said, this might be my second favorite run. It's a great and, run. Uh, so, I, so when I eventually got to know her, I was <laughs> I was very thrilled because yeah. – uh, it turns out that you know she was as nice a person as she is a, a good writer, and uh, and and I wish that I could say the same thing about Mina's comics. I wish that I could say that the trans the transition from novel to comic was as good as Collins was, but unfortunately I can't. Which is why I'm very glad Manko drew them because Manko, who also drew Diggle's run, part of he it, did. Least, that's right. That's uh, where actually, that's where I except, recognize him from. Yeah, and in fact, um, Cam and Coley and Landini uh, started. Um, uh, they, they had a couple issues during Diggle as well. Okay, uh, but Manco drew most of it uh, of Diggle, and um, I th- think all of Mina. Okay, I'm looking down here. There was one by Cristiano Cucina. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. That, that's uh, that's the thing about Hellblazer is you had people working on these books that were no names, but they were. You got a lot of people from 2000 AD. You got a lot of people from Europe uh, coming over oh, yeah. and and kill and just like putting american artists to shame a lot a lot of people referred to the early years of the hellblazer run as uh the comics british invasion that's because, exactly what it was yeah yeah back back then you know we had people like moore and, and gaiman and and delano and these these amazing talents that uh that, that were uh hogan these amazing talents that were transitioning to u.s comics um and 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 we're we're better off for it. We are know? we are. I would agree. We are absolutely better off for it. I I I think that uh, I think that that while Moore is considered the granddaddy of of modern comics and rightly so, there were so many others. Neil Gaiman comes to mind immediately, who came along with him at the around the same time, uh, who deserved just as much credit. Yeah, I've always said that uh, to me, 
the Bible of modern comics is Watchmen. Like yes. that is the the but the catcher in the rye is the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> oh, I like that. The catch it, ooh, that's a that's a really good way of putting it. You know, like it. that's that's the best way have to you trademark that because I, have I not. Know, <laughs> Okay. But uh, no, I, I really like that uh, I really like that that concept. Yeah, absolutely. It, you 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 just you just got on my good side because Catcher in the Rye is one of my all-time favorite novels. Oh, good. So perfect. Like that's I used you know, to be an English teacher and ah. I taught but so, yeah, that's uh, that's where we are. Um, first, I want to say thank you for taking the time out. I know you were a busy man. Uh, oh, of course. Getting nerdy about Constantine. Uh, so when does the book come out? Um, I think October. Okay. Oh, and that reminds me. I never did tell you the Sting thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll be glad. I know I'm, I'm keeping you on a no, long no, time. No, no, no. Let's do it. You'll be, you'll be glad when you hear this one. It's a cool story. So Alex Gaylor, the editor had asked me to do these four essays, and then I uh, talked him into uh, somehow extending the book by 30 pages for a chronology. Okay. <laughs> and, but uh, but I, I guess he trusted my judgment because what ended up happening next was really pretty damn cool. Alex wrote to me one day saying, you know, we want to find someone to do a forward for this book, an introduction rather, and Everybody has contacted Moore. He doesn't do them, but everyone reaches out to him. Everybody has spoken to Bissett and Delano and, 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 and Ennis. Everybody has spoken to Tottleman. P- people speak to all the, the obvious ones. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, this is a book celebrating 30 years of Hellblazer pre-New 52. Uh, uh, 30 years of Constantine, actually, because there's a couple Swamp Thing stories in there, too. Um, so... Uh, what can you think of that would be out of the box? Who has nobody spoken to that is an oversight? Well, Gordon. Well, I'll, I'll take it one step further. As a, as a, almost jokingly, I said, "How about Sting?" Yeah, that's well, that, yeah. And you know, for for those who don't know, why we kept making the Sting jokes before. Uh, <laughs> the reason Constantine looks like Sting, it's not it's not a coincidence. No, it's not. Um, the, uh, the the trio. Tottleman Bissetvich, uh, <laughs> uh, were drew in issue twenty five a um, a uh, a picture of a guy mugging at the camera. It, 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 the scene focuses on Abby Holland in the midst of all this chaos going on. There's this guy wearing a striped shirt who looks remarkably <laughs> yes. the police looking at the camera with a sly grin on his face because they were major police fans, and so As I think one, everybody probably was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of them, and for the life of me, I can't remember whether it was Bissett or Tottleben. I want to say Bissett, but if it's Tottleben, sorry. But I want to say it was Bissett. Um, called Alan Moore and said, look, just so you know, we're going to keep drawing this guy. We, have, <laughs> we, we like the look of this guy. We're going to keep drawing him. You might as well make him a thing. Right, right, right. And, and so in 37, Constantine shows up. Um, as uh, a, 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 as basically Sting in a trench coat, yep. and and there are jokes along the way. Like at one at one of the later issues, he's he's in a rowboat called the Gordon Sumner. Like there, there's things like that that are, you know, jokes about Sting. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, and and Sting in Delano's age actually kind of had a similar background. Like he he had a punk or a punk rock origin, like 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 Sting did, and so forth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, so some of the stuff Delano does with him is actually is actually based on Sting's very early pre-police days. The the and, only uh, the only comic book that I have graded and slabbed is my Swamp Thing number thirty-seven, and 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 rightly so. And it's actually signed by Tolbin and Veach. Nice. Yeah. 
So uh, that's a fine. Hold on to that. It's, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> so uh, so when I said to him, so half jokingly, how about Sting? And then it was a pause. And Alex says, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. And I said, and I said, yeah, but could we get him? <laughs> I mean, like, like really, it I mean, works like, in theory. Sure. It works in, th- in theory. We could have, you know, in, in theory, we, we could, we, we could have uh, John Wayne come back from the dead and, and, and do the intro to preacher. Right. But I mean, right, right, right. In, in practice, that's not going to happen. Right. So, so can we get sting do this? I, I mean, <laughs> so he says, so he goes, all right, well, do me a favor, do some due diligence, find out if Sting knows about this, first of all, because I don't want to approach him to write the intro, at which point he says, I don't give you the rights to the likeness. Right, and we're also not only taking the name. This book, but we have to stop publishing Hellblazer. Right. So, so I did some due diligence and found an, uh, an interview going back to a few years after Hellblazer launched. And in it, someone asked Sting, are you familiar with the comic? And he said, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with it. I, I have only glimpsed at it. Uh, and, uh, uh, I think it's really cool. I think that, uh, what they're doing. Yeah. I think it's really cool. It, 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 it it kind of mirrors some aspects of my youth, but not a lot. I want to stress that they're not writing sting. They're writing John Constantine. And he must've said that like five times in an interview because he he was for legal reasons, making it clear. I'm not this guy. I'm not this guy. I am not an an, an asshole, a, you know, a cultist <laughs> who gets people killed. Moreover, while I am not condemning it, I'm also not putting my seal of approval on it. Correct. But, but the point is, the door was open because he knew about it. He had never shut them down in the last thirty years, and he'd even said it's cool. So I, I sent this to Alex, who said, "Ah, oh, excellent." So he reached out to Sting's publicist and said, now that he was relieved that Sting wasn't going to suddenly say, what, I knew nothing about this. You know, yeah, right, right. Shut down now. So Sting's pub, we figure, you know, we've got months during which I'm doing all the writing on this book and, and, and so forth. There's time for, hopefully, Sting's publicist to eventually notice the email. Uh, but as as any of us who have ever tried reaching out to uh, <laughs> to famous people's PR people know, it is not an easy thing. I used to interview uh, people for for magazines, and and like if I needed to reach a celebrity, a, a, a star, a, someone someone on Star Trek, for example, it was hit or miss. Sure, I, I could, sure. I could go through the Screen Actors Guild or through some other source to get their their agents or, or, or reps info, but there was a really good chance I'd never speak to this person because the rep would decide this is beneath him, and the star would never even know I'd oh, reached out. I see, I see. Right, because they're the buffer. You can't just go. I'm going to go look up. Ricardo Montalban's phone number, <laughs> but you can find out who Ricardo Montalban uh, worked uh, had had as a rep and call the rep. Right, and then if the rep says, "Oh, this sounds like something interesting," let me take it to Ricardo. If not, Ricardo will never know that you even reached out. I see. I and, see. And and so it, it's entirely possible that Sting will never know this request was made. But when Alex re- reached out to the rep the next day, I think oh, the man. rep gets back and says. Yeah, Sting would love to do this. Can you do us a favor? So, like that, that's like so me, awesome. Make, that's so awesome. Me making this little joke, like a day or two later, Sting was writing the intro to the book, and then uh, so they said, "Can you do me a favor? Can you uh, Sting wants Sting is is familiar with the character only in cursory. Can you send whatever materials you have, and he'll familiarize himself." So, uh, uh Alex was like. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the two of us came up with like, here's the stories everybody should read about Sting. I mean, about, I mean about about Constantine. It's it's funny. And, it's funny that Sting has his foot in like the two worlds that I love the most. 
So he, obviously he's the basis for Constantine, but he there's also a wrestler that has the same name who is the like that's the 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 go. wrestler in question is the guy that I was my introduction to wrestling. When I see the the blonde flat top and the crazy face paint, I was like, it, not the Ultimate Warrior, mind you. This is a different guy. Uh, but yeah, like he's even had, you know. And then that version, the wrestler Sting, goes back to the comic books because he started dressing like the Crow. Well, if you're also a Lord of the Rings fan, then you've got all the Stings covered. I'm not, but uh, well, <laughs> but uh, so so um, so 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 Alex sent Sting's rep all of the. Materials, and we figured. I mean, nobody in their right mind, let alone a famous musician who's very busy, can sit and read three hundred plus issues. Sure. A week later, the introduction oh shows up. That's insane. A week, a week later, and here's the crazy thing: he clearly read stuff because he wrote it in character as the Golden Boy. No. The in the the the, the he he took the stance, and I I'm, I can't I got I got to be careful what I say because I don't want to give no, anything that's away. Fair, that's fair. But Sting, the the day the, after he turned it in, Sting actually posted online a video of himself in John Constantine cosplay announcing he was writing the intro as the Golden Boy. Son of a bitch. So I'm not giving anything away because he revealed that. But he decided, not. Um, I'm not just going to write a thing about, uh, you know, uh, Constantine is not me, but he's cool. Right. He yeah. says, I'm the Golden Boy, and writes a fiction piece. <laughs> this is, is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling, right? Yeah. So this is why I said you'll be glad you stuck around. We stuck around for the, this part of the conversation because a joke, what about Sting, a week later ended up with Alex practically having fits because he's holding in his hand the printout of an article, I mean, of, of, of an in-universe thing written by Sting as the golden boy that's going to be the centerpiece of this book. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. It was pretty wild. And when he told me, I just sort of like – in a in a very wily coyote manner, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah, I don't blame you I, <laughs> at all. So. Yeah, so it was it was pretty wild, and uh, I, I I mean I could take claim for making the joke. I can't take claim for reaching out and making it happen because Alex did that. No, that's uh, that's uh, that's awesome. I'm amazed that you no, know, like like Alex's response. Oh my god, that's brilliant. Kind of sums up why it's something that's amazing. How is it nobody ever thought to reach out to him the, before? The one guy. Like that. Oh, yeah, that he, right. The, I found one one interview. It, it, was, it was somebody was interviewing him about something else, and it came up. So, and that was decades ago. So, how is it no one thought to to say to, to go Sting, after him? We're having a book about you know Hellblazer, or about or about or about comics in general, or about the occult. Why don't you do the forward because you're, you're you're Constantine? It's amazing to me that that's never happened before. That's it's flabbergasting, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think maybe people might have always been afraid, as Alex was, that that Sting was going to say, "Not only am I not willing to do this, but cease and desist." I mean, that might be the reason why. That could very well that, be possible. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so where can when the book comes out? And did you say when it was coming out? I, I at this point I don't remember anything I said. Uh, so How about when's the book coming out? Hey, oh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I think that it comes out in October, but it could be November. And where can they find it? It's either October or November. Well, I mean, it's being mass produced by by DC Comics, so any bookstore should have it. Uh, comic shops should have it. Uh, Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com certainly would have it, and I am positive. Uh, because nobody thinks you should give business to um, nobody thinks you should give all the business to Amazon. I am positive that your local bookstore can get it for you. So can they order it from Diamond at their local shop? 
I would have to think so, simply because Diamond carries DC titles, so I I would think so. Uh, I would be surprised if not. Okay, very good. And where can the folks find you online, if you want that to be told? They can find me skulking around (laughs) in the corners, lifting up rocks and seeing... No, I... I, They can... (laughs) <laughs> they can find me on Facebook. Uh, just look for uh, if there's if there's multiple Rich Hanleys, look for the dork holding up a Planet of the Apes uh, anthology with his own name on it and grinning like an idiot. There it is. Uh, and if you fi- if um, uh, you can find me at haslinebooks.com, h a s s l e i n books.com, which was an independent book company that I was running until my my partner on it passed away. But the but the site still exists and the books are still there. Um, just no new titles. There it is. And, uh, and they can email me uh, at if they if they so need to at info at hasslinebooks.com. I'm a pretty approachable guy because I'm humble enough to realize nobody wants to approach me. See, and that's where you're wrong because I did. As soon as I, as soon as I heard a Hellblazer comp book was coming out, I was like, I need to talk about this. This needs to happen. Uh, and also, so like we said, you could at the top of the show, you can follow real spoilers uh, at real spoilers. That's real with two E's. You can also follow me on Twitter at JoeyButts, B-U-T-T-S 21. Uh, don't forget to check out the Patreon account. Uh, donate $5. You'll get some special content. Go along with that. And don't forget to rate and review. That's really important for us uh, to keep us going and uh, keep us kind of relevant. Uh, again, I, Rich, I want to thank you again for taking the time out. We uh, went just about as nerdy as I thought we were going to get. I'm pretty sure there might be a topic or two somewhere in the cosmos we didn't cover, maybe, but I maybe. To find it. <laughs> if there is, it's not worth talking about. Right. Exactly. Uh, clearly not. Yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun, yeah. and I, I'm always happy to come back if you ever want me to, because uh, obviously we don't have a shortage of things to talk no, about. No, that's true. We don't. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode. All right, guys. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you later. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.